Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. The continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. And introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. Of heroes and villains. They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. Odyssey against oppression. A big, new, sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy, next summer. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. We are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, but coming to you also through the power of iTunes and Google Play and everywhere on the internet. We're everywhere. We're at IPC podcast on social media. If you don't already follow us there, be sure to do that. Because we give updates on upcoming episodes, we give little teases about what's coming up next, and of course we uh, provide you with the latest episodes that are coming out. And we try to week them, you know, bi-weekly. We missed last week. We apologize for that. Sorry, it's just sometimes we just gotta take a break. We gotta take a breather. But tonight we're gonna make up for it. We're gonna bring you a fantastic episode discussing Star Wars. More Star Wars. Specifically... The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, we are continuing our countdown to The Rise of Skywalker, and we're going to be discussing this film 
from 1980, and I dare say, I think... I think a lot of you think this is the best one. We'll get into it. We'll we'll make the official proclamation if this is indeed the best one. But uh, yeah, it definitely is the best one. Anyway, before we get into it, introductions are in order. If you are new, my name is Ben. I almost forgot there. There, you just noticed that? <laughs> Did you notice that? I almost forgot my own name. Um, and also joining me, he was here last week. He's back this week. Is my good buddy Jake Damon. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, sorry we missed last week, but here we are again, and we are talking about definitely the best Star Wars movie. In my opinion, it is the best. I know I said that A New Hope was my favorite, but that doesn't mean it's the best, and uh, we'll talk about why it's the best in this episode. Very excited. What a way to kick off the 80s, man, with this film. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And also joining us, he was not here last week. We missed him greatly. Actually, that was two weeks ago. My weeks are just all growing together. I'm sorry, guys. But <laughs> it's been a little bit since we've talked to this guy, and uh, he's kind of, you know, pivotal in the whole shebang with IPC. He's been with us for quite a few episodes, and we're glad to have him back. Mr. Zach Arnold, how's it going? Hey, I'm back, baby! At least for this week, uh, you know, there's just some episodes that you just really don't want to miss. And, uh, yeah, I was not missing a discussion of one of my top five movies I will never say no to. <laughs> just putting that out. You know, that that was like Empire Strikes Back was kind of the thing that helped kickstart that top five discussion that we've had for a couple of years now. Because, you know, we weren't talking about top five favorite movies. We were talking about top five movies we will never say no to. And even though that fifth movie has rotated a couple of times over the last couple of years, sometimes it's Pirates of the Caribbean, sometimes it's Emperor's New Groove, sometimes it's some movie that I've just recently seen, like Infinity War. But Empire Strikes Back has been a staple of that top five forever. And I dare say it's probably my favorite movie. Like, what? Th there's, there's just so many things about it. I actually used a reference to The Empire Strikes Back in one of my church sermons, if you can believe oh, that. Oh, wow. It, it, was, it, was, it was so funny because I was using this word masterpiece. There's, there's, a, there's a scripture in a certain translation that uses the word masterpiece. And so I was like doing a comparison saying, you know, people look at the Grand Canyon and say that that is a masterpiece. People look at a particular cathedral and they say it's a masterpiece of architecture. I then popped up the uh, poster for Empire Strikes Back, and I was like, "What? Well, uh, how did that get there? Must be a masterpiece of cinema. I don't know. <laughs> Must like, be. Like, I need to yeah. go to your church, man. It it got a lot of laughs. It got a lot of laughs, and uh, some some pretty positive reviews uh, from people that were listening to my talk. But um, point being, every time I can try and make some kind of an Empire Strikes Back reference, I do. Uh, I probably make Empire Strikes Back references as often as I make Friends and Park, Parks and Recreation references. Those are like, the, <laughs> those are the top three things that I make references to. Uh, actually, you know what? If anything's burning, I also say, <gasps> my spinach puffs. When I'm talking about Empire <laughs> Group. So... I don't know. I, I have a hard time like confirming this because the more I think about it, I'm like, no, I also reference this and I also reference this and I also reference this. <laughs> but 
Yeah, it was literally yesterday in a conversation. I said, did you see that sky today? Talk Talk about about blue. blue. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Oh, my God. That sounded like Patrick Warburg, too. Like, I don't know why I voice like that, but I honestly thought, like, hit play on a YouTube video or something. I was like, how did you get that? The poison, the poison for Cusco, the poison especially made to kill Cusco. Cusco's poison. That was spot on. That was, that was legit. I'm impressed. Okay. So if we've both seen this movie often enough, I think we need to do like a special edition episode where we just try and do a giant quote-a-thon where we just quote the entire movie. I'm fine with that. I am game. That would be amazing. Oh, my gosh. Because I, I know Kuzco's lines pretty well, and I know Yzma's lines pretty well. I'm not claiming to be Eartha Kit or anything. May she rest in peace. Who does this little worm think he is? Does he? A little to the left. <laughs> Have any idea who he's dealing with? How can they do this to me? My eye practically raised him. Uh, ex- excuse me. I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? <laughs> your your excuse. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my favorite line in the entire movie. Oh, dude, there are so many funny lines in that movie. Oh, Speaking of funny lines, there's some really great lines in Empire Strikes Back as well. That's the movie we're supposed to be talking about tonight. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes. But, uh, um, and, okay, before we move on, we have a little update on The Rise of Skywalker. Since this whole thing is, in a way, counting down to The Rise of Skywalker, we kind of talk about a little bit of the news and whatever. And as of today, we are now 100 days away from this movie, if you're listening in the future, where you're even less days away, and it's getting pretty exciting. Of course, there's one little bit of news that I wanted to point out to it. I thought was pretty interesting. Of course, uh, there was uh, Salt Lake City Comic Con or something along those lines happening in Salt Lake City in Utah over the past week, and uh, Hayden Christensen and Ian McDiarmid were there in attendance, signing autographs, doing all the Den General Convention stuff. Um, they made a couple stops, they visited a children's hospital, visited with some kids, and they also made a surprise appearance at a screening of The Empire Strikes Back, an orchestral screening, you know, the ones where they have a live orchestra and done that. You've been there and done that, right, Zach? With oh, Jurassic Park? And I did that with Jurassic Park, and the Dallas Orchestra was actually doing one with Empire Strikes Back, but it was so expensive, the only way I could go would be if somebody, like, gifted me them tickets for the birthday or something like I that. I understand. And that didn't happen, so I didn't go, but it's on my bucket list because that orchestral score is freaking amazing. It's, and yeah. to, hear, to mm-hmm. hear that, like, as the movie is playing is totally, like, it's on my bucket list up there with seeing the sets of The Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. Oh, that, yes. oh man, yeah. And that, that whole thing, it's like seeing any movie, but especially a Star Wars movie, and especially The Empire Strikes Back, like that is totally on my bucket list. But that's not the most interesting part of this. So on Saturday, I believe, last week, there was going to be a panel. It was going to include Ian McDermott and Hayden Christensen. And of course, we know, all know now by now, that Ian McDermott is going to be in The Rise of Skywalker as the Emperor because, spoiler alert, he is alive. So that's all out in the open. But everyone's kind of ho-humming around about the idea of what if... Everyone wants Hayden Christensen as perhaps Force Ghost Anakin to show up in this movie. 
and people are speculating, and the more they see then they see the pictures of him with Ian McDiarmid, they're like, oh, could this be happening, whatever. So they have a panel set up, and at the last minute, I think even the panel was about to start, they canceled it. Apparently, mm-hmm. Disney came down and said, no, you can't do that, and basically cut their water off and said, no, Hayden and Ian are not allowed to talk about Star Wars right now. So I guess in a effort to get rid of spoilers to prevent something from leaking out, they just set the internet ablaze with a lot of speculation. <laughs> and it certainly seems like now that Hayden might actually be involved. So I was just oh, going to get you guys' take on this as far as like, what, what do you think this all this means? Do you think that possibly we could see Force Ghost Anakin? Does this, co- does this absolutely confirm it's happening? Oh, I think this was a big sign that they're trying to hide from the uh, the public that I think I think the Emperor is coming back. Oh, really? <laughs> really? No. Oh, wait, they revealed hey, that hey, in the trailer. Why did this happen? Who? That's just a rumor, isn't it? That's just speculation on your part. We can't confirm it, but I, there, there's somebody laughing in the trailer. It sounded a lot like him, but you know, I could just be, I could be reading too much into that. Uh, uh, what that was? That was J.J. Abrams laughing at how amazing it looked, and they forgot to cut it out in the final edit. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, Hayden Christensen is obviously the uh, the the topic here, but. I've been wanting to see Hayden Christensen come back ever since episode seven. We didn't get him in seven. Understandably there, I couldn't really see a place where he would come in. Um, episode eight, I was holding out hope for it. Uh, I think maybe it is possible that we're getting him in episode nine. I'm not saying that that's what this whole cancellation of the panel means necessarily, unless that it, somebody said that's exactly what it meant, but that seems to be a big reason it could, could have been canceled just to avoid the leaks or whatever. But, um, it makes me excited. It makes me think about the possibilities for the rise of Skywalker and what, what kind of uh, scene he might show up in. Are they going to do it like return of the Jedi where he just, he's just at the end standing there again. I don't think that, that they would do that. Um, but I, I really hope he shows up. I hope he has a conversation with somebody, especially Ben. I think that would be amazing. Ben Solo. Um, uh, I was like, damn, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I see his first interview since Terry Farrell in 2014. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we saw him at um, Star Wars Celebration, the, the last one, the one before Chicago. Yeah. Which was very cool. But uh, anyway, who knows? But I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What do you think, Zach? Do you have an opinion on this? You caught me with a mouthful of cookie. I mean, oh. that happens, I suppose. If I had a dime for every time I said that. Mouthful? Okay. Cookies! See, it's for cookie. That's good enough for me. Um, You know, I have really grown to appreciate Hayden Christensen's portrayal in Revenge of the Sith, especially. Me too. And some of the some of the respects that they paid to the original trilogy by letting him dress up as Darth Vader and stuff like that for that particular shot. Like very very much more involved with the franchise than I originally perceived him to be, just by how distant some of his acting portrayal felt at times. Um so to bring him back into the fold would be really cool. 
it would be a lot of fun to see. But I'm not necessarily trying to like put all my eggs into this basket to be like the make or break for my excitement level of this movie. You know what I mean? Mm. Like there, I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, I'm not going to enjoy this movie if Hayden's not in it. Yeah. And and, and I'm just like, excuse me. What, what about all these other things that people have been talking about could happen in this movie? What about, you know, Ray's character and, and, and her double bladed lightsaber for crying out loud. (laughs) You know what Which is about totally real and not a vision. What about this armada that we've seen in the teaser? Like, I honestly am probably more excited for what they're going to do with that Imperial armada than I am about Ray's lightsaber. Like, I yeah, know that, that cool. was supposed to be the big deal, but those shots of that Imperial armada just look amazing to me. So everybody's got something that they are interested in or excited about for the Rise of Skywalker. I am probably more excited about other elements than I am about the prospect of Hayden being in it. But if they do include him, I feel like it would be really tasteful and respectful to kind of conclude the Skywalker saga, utilizing characters from all aspects of the previous films. Mm -hmm. You know, you had original trilogy characters like Luke and Leia and Han uh, in seven and eight. To bring in somebody from the one, two, three region would also be really cool because if this is the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, let's do something that gives it some comprehensive closure and not just some movie that finishes off this trilogy and boom, we're done. You know? Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, they're selling this as the end of the Skywalker saga. Right. And they're not just saying, oh, it's the end of the sixth film since A New Hope. They're talking about, you know, all of these films, this nine-film saga that, I mean, George Lucas himself envisioned from the get-go. So I feel like if they're going to say that, they need to put their money where their mouth is and at least pay a little bit of respect to the prequels and say, hey, and and let's face it, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about the whole idea because coming out of Force Awakens and going into that movie... There was a lot of contention. There was a lot of, you know, kind of discourse about Lucasfilms obviously trying to say, hey, these movies are definitely not the prequels. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to win the fan base back. And I don't necessarily blame them, but I think they went a little overboard at times in regards to, and I think especially in this day and age where people have learned to appreciate those films. The kids that grew up with those films are finally on the internet talking about them, and, you know, the the discourse isn't as negative as it used to be. Um, And going back to your points about, you know, the whole expectations, and I'm trying to very much temper my expectations. And my my thing with this is, like, I would, my advice is think of something, whether it be Hayden as a Force Ghost, whether it be anything— Think of the one thing that you absolutely think you cannot live without in this movie. Think of the one thing that you were absolutely hell-bent on having in this movie. Imagine watching the movie and it not being in there. Just imagine it. Because you have to consider the possibility that the movie you have in your head is not going to be what actually happens. Wait, you mean like The Last Jedi? (laughs) Or The Force Awakens? Or literally any of them. Literally any of them. Anytime you go in expecting something very specific, guess what? You're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah. It's just the way it works. Which and, yeah, has made me learn to go into movies with 
low expectations, not expecting, not I'm, what I mean by that is not, you don't have to go in going, Oh, this is going to be a terrible movie. Just go into a movie. Like what Ben said, not, not expecting the things that you want to happen to happen because they probably won't. But if they do, it'll be 10 times more satisfying. Um, but yeah, just go into the, go into the movie, go into the rise of Skywalker, not expecting Hayden Christensen to show up like I'm going to. And then when he does show up, if he does, that'd be even better. Yeah. And see now that they've really, you know, tightened up all of the, the expectations for this movie being that it's supposed to be the last Skywalker film that just heightens everything even more. Yeah. And everyone has their interpretation of what they want to see in the last movie. Yep. And, yeah, it's probably not going to be the last movie because they've said this, what, like three times already? This is the last one, and there's more. So, like, Lucasfilm's obviously, they're pulling our leg here. But at the same time, there ha- it has to be satisfying. And they yeah. keep using that word, satisfying. Well, it's not going to satisfy everyone. It's just not. <laughs> There's nope. no way they can do that. No um, movie can satisfy If there's anything everyone. The Last Jedi proved is that that is impossible. So, you know, just go with it and try to try to accept what you get ex- instead of trying to build up something in your mind that ultimately is probably not going to come to pass. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think this whole Force Ghost thing with Anakin is something that I want. I really, really want. And a lot of other people really, really want it. But it still might not happen. It's still, and I'm preparing myself for that so that I don't get disappointed. Yeah. But that's... But if we're talking that's, that's about that. what we really want in The Rise of Skywalker, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw mine into the ring. I know uh-huh. that it's one that has been uh, discussed multiple times over by different podcasts and probably been discussed on this podcast, if I'm being honest. But um, there, has, there, has been, there, there have been reports, rather that John Williams is going to include just about every element of previous soundtracks in this one in some capacity. Yep. Like elements of every film, at least. And I have always been a big fan of the finale of The Phantom Menace. And I think it would just be fantastic closure if the final battle included elements of the music from the final battle of The Phantom Menace. Because this could ultimately be an actual duel for the fate of the galaxy. Yeah. So why not have elements of duel of the fates in there? I don't need full closure on Ray's character. I don't necessarily need to have a whole lot of screen time for the Emperor. I don't really need Anakin's Force Ghost. What I would really, really, really like to have is an appropriate and respectful use of the music from the prequel trilogies to help us just notice the parallels between that trilogy and this one, especially in the final battle. Yeah, I see. I I just got through talking about tempering your expectations, but I'm going to heighten your expectations, Zach, because something that uh, Don Williams, John Williams' brother, who was working on this film, said he said he's the one that originated that report about John putting every single track from previous films in this. And, I mean, who knows if that they'll all make the cut or whatever, but he said himself, he mentioned, oh, this track and that track and The Phantom. He said The Phantom as in a what? theme from Star Wars. And well, everyone's well, thinking, well, there's no, there's no track, there's no theme from Star Wars that's called The Phantom. 
but maybe he was trying to say The Phantom Menace, as in Duel of the Fates, which is the most popular track from The Phantom Menace. Or maybe it's a new track in (laughs) reference to Palpatine. That would be interesting. Maybe maybe he was specifically referencing it in regards to older tracks that he's including. I'm just trying to spark spark new rumors. I want want to be the one that gets, like, rumored, reported from some clickbait site that's like, (laughs) Oh, so, so at, at this podcast, such and such said that the Phantom is actually in reference to Emperor Palpatine because he's going to be an actual Phantom Menace in Episode Nine. If if you want if you want those people to listen to us, we're going to have to start you know getting some interesting guests on this show. Like I don't know, Mike Zero. Excuse me, I'm interesting. I'm saying you're good. You're good. You're a legitimate team. source. They don't care about legitimate sources. <laughs> Ouch. It's true. supposed to be a compliment. The, the news, world we live in. The news doesn't care about me. <laughs> hey, you're in the crowd. Who, 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 who does care about me? Hey, you made it onto TV the other day. I made my American TV review. Thank you very much. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Which was, which was my very local channel. I'm not talking about CNN here. It was a local channel for a very small segment for a football thing. Yeah, it was fun, but yeah, I made a, a much ado about nothing about that. It was fun to watch, like hearing yeah. here. Well, okay, so my thing is, I'm doing like football broadcasts for like the local high school teams around here, and so hearing a coach in Mississippi talk strategy, and then hearing the strategies, you know, of how the game is played in the North Texas area. There's some similarities and there's some differences, and it's it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see how like the the regional um, aspect comes into it, figuring out how you're going to prepare for certain teams and certain games, and you know even certain weather conditions. They're probably different down by the bay than they are up in the North Texas area. So like, there's a lot of different things to try and account for, and it was interesting to hear all that and see it in a place that looked very familiar. Yeah, indeed. And if you want to oh. hear, if you want to see what I'm talking about, just go to my Facebook. Go to my Facebook page. You'll, you'll see it. You'll see it. <laughs> I think that was the first time I saw the inside of uh, the restaurant, which is cool. Really? You know what? We're gonna save this. We're gonna talk about this in BBQ Watch later. I will explain it during Gosh. BBQ Watch. Gosh, dang it! Okay, so you've got a reason to listen to the end of the show, folks. Talk there you about go. there. You ben go. You won't. And his TV appearance. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's actually talk about the movie we were supposed to talk about tonight, shall let's we? Let's not keep holding them in suspense because I'm chomping at the bit to talk about this movie. Right? We've been recording for like a half an hour and we just like made a few little references to this movie and it's like, get on with it! <laughs> oh. Nice. I, jeez, guys, I don't even know where to begin. Like, let's just start with Hoth, I guess, because I think one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about um the the way this movie just resonates with me is that it, it it starts things off in a really really good way it's not necessarily like fast and intense the way it starts off but it's enough to pique your interest and it's different enough to make you wonder you know what's going on with the rebels these days how are things looking for them i guess things are so bleak that they have to hide on an ice planet now like it just it really sets the tone really well for how the rest of the movie is going to potentially play out. That's the thing with this movie is that I think the, the beginning scene in particular really sets up and explains and shows you 
how brilliant this film is in regards to it doesn't have sequelitis. We have talked about mm. a lot of films on this podcast where it's, you know, one film that's really, really popular that was an unexpected hit, a la Star Wars, that ended up getting a sequel, but the sequel was, you could tell they don't really know what to do with it because it's this, they're taking this concept and kind of like, okay, we have to make a sequel out of this. What do we do? I think Star Wars immediately gets itself off on the right foot, that it's not falling into the trap of, oh, it's basically just the same movie over again with slightly yeah, no. different things. They're completely redoing it. We're, like They intentionally are going off in a direction where it's completely opposite from where we started with this. You know, A New Hope starts with a big battle. There's no big battle in Empire Strikes Back until like 20 or 30 minutes into the movie. It starts you know, on a desert planet. Now we're on a snow planet, like complete opposites. And it just keeps going and going and going. And like throughout A New Hope, Luke Skywalker is the hero. He's the guy that's winning all this time. He puts the thing in the Death Star and all this kind of stuff. He's winning. And the Empire Strikes Back, he does nothing but fail. He does nothing but screw up and, and just not win. And the heroes do not win at all. The Empire Strikes Back is, as the title says, the heroes are running on the run the entire time um so i think the brilliance of this film is the fact that it completely changes your perception of the story it changes things up it switches things up and it makes for an interesting story and i think it really caught people off guard back in the day because this movie wasn't that well received back in the day a lot of critics did not like it for whatever reason gave it scathing reviews but obviously things have changed um because a lot of films you know we were just talking about the prequels earlier like you know, those films were not well-loved at all when they first came out, but now you look on the internet, and I think you'd almost get attacked if you said something bad about the prequels now, because people just love those movies now, but... Well, that that brings me back to the title itself, because, you know, we don't really think about it that much, because it's just, you know, second nature to us, The Empire Strikes Back, it's just the, the title of the film, but... I'm sure when that first came out, that had to sound a little ridiculous, you know? Even now, if you just say it a bunch of times in your head and kind of dissociate it from star Wars, that title sounds kind of silly. And if it were me, I, I probably wouldn't have chosen that up front. Now, not knowing how genius of a title it really is. Cause it, it tells you exactly what's going on, but it's just fascinating to me how silly that title sounds initially. But you know, after so many years, it's just like, you, you just almost take it for granted. It's just like, that's, that's, what it is you know i don't know it's it's just funny to me how silly that sounds when you think about it yeah and it's and it's also it's it's funny how we the the star wars title especially the rise of skywalker now is hotly debated yeah like, what does it mean and all this kind of stuff and the empire strikes back is very cut and dry right the empire strikes back that's that's it describes what happens in the movie yep they strike back there's no nuance to it um, which is it's just great. Like it's a great title, and oh, yeah, I yeah. love the whole like. There's a lot of debate about you know, especially with the sequel titles. Like, oh, this is a good title. Or what like, The Empire Strikes Back in a bubble is not probably the best title, but it's still a great title because it's just this pulpy, you know, just right out of the gate telling you exactly what you're supposed to be expecting from this movie. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the other thing is it kind of is like a tone setter, if you will. Right. Because mm. you, you don't want one of those stocky sequels where the the good guys just face another conflict and they win the day all over again. 
And if you gave it any other title, people might not be as interested in what happens to our rebellious heroes because, oh, the rebellion wins again. But to, to know the context of the previous movie, know that the evil empire is out there and this time they're out with a vengeance to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Like you're intrigued to see just how wrathful they are. You're intrigued to see just how well they're striking. And I think that's the other thing that makes me so proud of this movie is I'm almost this is such a weird contradiction, but I'm almost proud of the bad guys for how well they respond to the adversity of their Death Star being destroyed. Yeah, Yeah. because it's like, oh, our super weapons gone, but we're still going to try and crush this rebellion. And we may not have the Death Star, but we've got giant metal walking machines that are just going to kick your freaking ass. Yep. And here's like six of them coming to destroy your base within the first 20 minutes of the movie. Bam. Tone set. And it obviously in the first film, A New Hope, sets sets the Empire up as, as being pretty big and bad. You know, they got a big planet-killing weapon. You know, that's nothing to laugh at. But at the same time, they can, I think the Empire Strikes Back comes off that even though they don't. They've lost their greatest weapon, yet they still kick the asses, as you say, out mm. of the rebels. And like that's nothing to laugh at either. And I think you ultimately the the, the heroes can't be triumphant in the end if they don't have a worthy bad guy to overcome. And that's what makes a great story. So the Empire is a great villain. They are such great villains because yeah. they are horrible. And well. They're also unstoppable to a degree. Yeah, like in A New Hope, I, I personally really felt the the threat of the Empire with Tarkin. I feel like the yes. Empire's evil yes. was embodied in that man, right. and he was destroyed. And, uh, you know, Vader to a lesser extent, but definitely Tarkin. And then in this one, you don't have Tarkin, but you can tell Empire's not messing around. They're back for round two. Uh, Vader took it up a notch in Empire Strikes Back also. Yeah, he came down to Hoth himself after after they, you know, invaded the the base and the rebels made their escape. Vader was trouncing around and I think it was in that moment when he's walking through with the stormtroopers that it really switches hands from Tarkin to Vader as far as what what the empire looks like. Ah, dude, for for me it was when he killed Admiral Ozel for his incompetence true yeah yeah like like he's not putting up with anybody's crap at this point he's like when when he made that that statement he is as clumsy as he is stupid i was (laughs) like oh snap he is so done with this guy and to just to just watch him and you know i gotta give credit to piet because he's basically being summoned by a dark lord of the sith and he's watching his superior officer die before him. What a great while, moment. While he's receiving instructions. And then later on in the movie, when they lose the Millennium Falcon, I love the way Vader emphasizes the word Admiral to Piet. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I made you and I'll break you. <laughs> I brought you into this world. I can take you out. You know, now that I think about it, I am pretty sure, like, if you're talking about main, like, named characters with dialogue, there are more Imperial characters that die in this movie than Rebels. Yeah, probably. And they all die at the hands of Vader. No, well, I mean, you've got you've got Admiral Ozzel and Captain Nita, especially. Right. 
Captain Nita. Well, and see, for a long time I was confused because I wasn't able to really distinguish Nita from Piet. And <laughs> for a while there, I thought it was Piet that got killed. And I was like, well, you failed. You die too. <laughs> but, you know, it, it just, I, I think it's really funny because it also sets up a really great line in Return of the Jedi where Vader shows up on Death Star 2 and he's like, the Emperor's not as forgiving as I am. You know, Vader accepts your apology, but only after he chokes you to death. Yeah, yeah and it's funny. There's a fun fact I just learned about it was Piet and Kenneth Colley, I think is the actor's name, he was not set to return in Return of the Jedi, but fans petitioned to have him back, and George Lucas wow. finally relinquished and brought him back for one thing, because he's the only Imperial character besides Vader and the Emperor that uh, shows up in more than two movies. That's awesome. Even back in the 80s, we had fan petitions. And apparently those petitions had more clout than the ones that go on today, though. Well, now they're just like, oh, we don't like this. We need to remake the whole movie. <laughs> That's true. But also, like, a pen and a paper makes is way more weighty than, uh, you know, some online petition where someone can create, like, 15 accounts and sign their name oh. that many times. It just makes it pointless and useless. Yeah. <laughs> One, as, we're, as we're on the topic of uh, generals and admirals in the Empire, uh, one of my favorite characters in this movie, even though he has kind of a smaller role, is uh, Julian Glover, who's General Veers. General Veers. He is awesome. He's, he's probably, uh, besides Belloc, my favorite villain from... Uh, Indiana Jones. He's in. He's in uh, the Last Crusade as yeah. Walter Donovan. He's Donovan in the Last Crusade, and then he's Grand Maester Pycelle in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great actor. When I saw that, I was like, "Holy smokes!" Because if you've seen the show, Grand Maester Pycelle looks absolutely freaking nothing like General Veers. Yeah, yeah. he's got a beard and everything. Like yeah, he's yeah, full on. Big old beard. And uh, believe it or not, Julian Glover was actually in the Avengers as well. What? Wait, Are you really? serious? Julian Glover in the Avengers. Just do a quick Google search. Julian Glover, the Avengers, and see see the results. He's actually in that movie. No way. I am looking for this right Unless now. Unless this is like the other Avengers is movie. Is this a trick? Is he, tr is he trolling us? Well, there's another Avengers from like the 90s or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? Hold on. You're talking about the Avengers TV show. I'm not talking about the Avengers TV show. I'm talking about the Avengers. Avengers. What? Hold on. I'm looking this up. I mean, it, it, it's just a simple Google image search. He'll, he'll pop up, like, instantaneously. Yeah, it's the show. Come on. You think you're funny. I know I'm funny. <laughs> you think you're funny. <sighs> I'm yeah, like, funny. I would have noticed him in the yeah. Avengers. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. But it's like, okay, it's something I just thought of is the fact that we don't see General Veers again after he attacks Echo Base. Yeah. I think that's because originally he was supposed to die in that scene. That I think Hobby was supposed to crash into the ATAT -AT head and kill him. Gotcha. Originally, I, like, but... I like to think that he's in the ATAT -AT that Luke attacks. That's also true. That's that. Interesting. That's, it seems like Luke would attack that one. Like that would make well, sense. Well, because that was that was probably the lead machine, and since he was the the general leading the ground assault, he's probably in the lead machine. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, exactly. They're not super clear as to like who's in what, but that would make the most sense that he's in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. 
General Veers, awesome dude. Yeah. Too bad he didn't show up in Jedi. He, him, and uh, I think he might be my favorite uh, Empire person from, from uh, the original trilogy, and I think from the new one it's uh, Kennedy. Captain Kennedy, I believe yeah. he's fooling you, sir. I just I love his funny, cadence. Funny minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, uh, Julian Glover is not the only actor to go from Star Wars, specifically The Empire Strikes Back, to The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. Um, are you talking about hey, Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford's in it, too. Okay, okay, that's an obvious one. I'm, ta- <laughs> I'm talking about someone else. I'm talking about Michael Sheard, who I believe is no longer with us, unfortunately. But he played, of course, as we said, Admiral Ozzel, and he also played Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Opposite opposite Harrison Ford in Last Crusade. Yeah, so isn't there like a fan theory out there that Harrison Ford and James Earl Jones were setting out to kill Hitler and they did that by traveling back in time to the galaxy oh, far, far away? There's a whole meme. There's a whole meme. And maybe if I get a chance, I'll try to post it on our page. But it's this whole theory about it's got a. Uh, uh, James Earl Jones and Harrison Ford, and they're like, oh, okay, so these guys have to go back in time and kill Hitler and this other guy. So they go back in time, and then you know, Hitler escapes to the Star Wars universe, and they follow him over there. <laughs> then, <laughs> this whole thing, I can't even be I, – I would butcher it trying think, to do it. I think I, I think I, I think I found the meme. Uh-oh. I think I found the meme. Harrison Ford and James Earl Jones make a plan to go back in time to kill Hitler. Ford will go back in time to 1938 to take on the Nazis. Uh, Jones will travel back even further to the galaxy far, far away to go after Hitler and his time-traveling companion. Because this guy, and it points to Julian Glover as General Veers, is also this guy, and it points to Donovan from Last Crusade. And then it, it does a, a meme that points to uh, Admiral Oswald and says, and this guy, and then transition, is also this guy. So in 1938, Ford fails to get Hitler, but he kills his companion, which is Donovan. And then, shoot, the meme just gets even smaller. Why is the meme so small? It's like it gradually gets smaller. I think no, my brain I, just imploded. I don't I don't want to log in, Pinterest. Screw you. Oh, gotta love Pinterest. <laughs> oh, I hate Pinterest. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, if you can send that, what whatever you have there, I will post it on our page later so people can see this. So Hitler flees a long way back to a galaxy far, far away where Jones is in waiting to assassinate Hitler. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and thus the greatest team up ever goes unthanked to this day. (laughs) Wow. What I don't know. I here's the deal. I don't know what this 1992 movie is. Harrison Ford, James Earl Jones. Is it or like one of the the, one of the. Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan movies, maybe. Uh, Patriot Games. Maybe. Yep. yep. Patriot Games. Yeah. So there you go. So now, now I've got to go watch Patriot Games to see Harrison Ford and James Earl Jones team up to kill Hitler. See now, 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 Empire Strikes Back, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Patriot Games are like, they're like in their own cinematic universe to me now. Like this is headcanon for me. Ooh. That's a, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, cool. um, the Empire strikes back within the first half hour of this movie. The the Adats destroy the rebel base. 
uh, as we mentioned, Vader is on hand, you know, to personally oversee the destruction of this rebel encampment. But as we saw in the opening scroll, he is obsessed. Like the word obsessed is actually in the opening crawl. He is obsessed with finding young Skywalker. The thing that I find interesting is that until he has the conversation with the emperor, he doesn't really have any knowledge or wherewithal that this boy could be Anakin Skywalker's son. Mm-hmm. So what is it exactly that he's so obsessed with finding young Skywalker? Because as we know, the difference between these two movies is what, about two years? Yeah, about two or three years, I think. So he's been in pursuit of this kid for a couple of years now, but has not put the pieces of the puzzle together over those couple of years that the force being so strong with this one could indicate it's his son. Is he just in pursuit of this rebel terrorist? Is he in pursuit of another force user? Is he in pursuit because of some other connection? Why do you think Vader is so obsessed with finding this kid? Well, I think, I mean, I think just from a general perspective of this is the guy that destroyed the Death Star, like he's enemy number one for the, for the Empire. Um, canonically, based on what we know from like the comics and stuff that's set between A New Hope and Empire, there is a scene where there's stuff. I think Boba Fett has a run in with Luke Skywalker, tries to capture him or whatever, doesn't succeed, but ultimately finds out his name. And takes it back to Vader. And Vader, at that point, sometime shortly after the ba- uh, after A New Hope, finds out that the the guy that destroyed the Death Star is in fact named Luke Skywalker. Mm. And according to George Lucas, Skywalker is just like Smith in the Star Wars galaxy. It's not a it's not a, just it's just a name. Like he doesn't know for sure. And as far as Vader knows, his kids died. But I think Vader. At this point, he doesn't know for sure, but I think he has an inkling that this kid is related to him. This is maybe his son. I think that's why he's so obsessed with him at that point, and he wants to confirm it. He wants to ultimately think, and then Pemper comes to him in that scene and goes, oh, well, yeah, this is your kid. Like, yeah, I know I told you you killed your family, but you really didn't. One of them survived. So that just furthers... The whole notion of I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I think you're gonna say what I'm gonna say. <laughs> How it should have ended? Oh no, no, I was just go ahead, go ahead. This oh no, is your son. I have a son. <laughs> I, I have a son, General. I have a son, Robot. I have a son, I speak. I'm a father. Oh, man. <laughs> I think that's the other thing that I love about this movie is how often it gets parodied. Yeah. All of the memes, all of the jokes, all of the videos, all of the bad lip readings, like everything that's come out of this movie is also just hysterical. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. And it's funny, after all of this, especially Empire, I think, is probably the most parodied, being that you have that moment. I am your father. You know, that's probably the most parodied, quotable scenes in cinema, probably. And, like, it still doesn't weaken the power of this movie and that scene and just the whole drama of this. And I think that shows the power of this film, that it, 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 nothing can change the fact of this is one of the most powerful and emotional and just, you know, it's, 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 it's almost a tragedy in a way. 
like you know you really it's knocking the heroes on their asses and and they you know it's a total subversion of what you expect from this triumphant story about good and good versus evil that we got in a new hope going to the empire strikes back you have this totally like oh here are the heroes you thought were the heroes but uh nah they're failing at every turn and oh by the way the ultimate bad guy is now the father of the ultimate good guy um <laughs> how's that for shaking things up mm-hmm. dude like that's the thing on the death star in a new hope we saw the incompetence of the empire right the the inaccuracy of the stormtroopers the faulty planning, the arrogance, if you will, of their superiority. Like, imagine, just imagine, if you will, if they had pulled even a portion of their fleet to guard the Death Star instead of just having a whole mess of TIE fighters running around. They might have actually been able to prevent that attack from occurring that run on the death star would have been a whole lot harder to do if you had even 10 star destroyers guarding it mm-hmm. I, I digress or that. or even better don't put the exhaust hole there right well but then you have no point for rogue one which is <laughs> like it's like one of my favorite star wars movies but True. by contrast by contrast we see the incompetence of the empire in a new hope which is part of what leads to such a successful run and then in this movie, we see them pretty much at their peak. Vader is taking crap from nobody, no matter what your rank is. He has got a very sizable fleet, including a Star Destroyer that is basically the size of a small city floating around in space. Right. Mm-hmm. He has uh, a, a, an army that lays out a very successful assault on a rebel base early in the film. And then his his troops, thanks to the help of a bounty hunter, no less, but his troops are prepared to intercept key leaders of the rebellion before they even arrive. This right. is the empire that is one step ahead of everything. This is the empire that took control of the galaxy. This is the empire in its truest and purest form, in my oh. That learn from its mistakes. Well, exactly. Yes, not only learning from its mistakes, but also I feel like this is the empire that should be. You know, this mm. is this is the way that the empire is supposed to function. It's supposed to be like a combination of whatever the the the, the Nazis and uh, and like the Skeksis, if you will. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. like just well, have the this this all powerful ruler who is supposed to be able to think one step ahead of your opponents. And in this movie, he's doing that at every turn, even resorting to, you know, hiring bounty hunters to help him with it. But I think one of the most impressive lines is when they open up the doors and Vader is sitting in that uh, dining hall on Cloud City. Oh, right. And all of the stormtroopers, like, close in behind them, and they turn to Lando and he says... I had no choice. They arrived right before you did. Yep, one step ahead. Exactly. That is the Empire one step ahead of the Rebellion, and that is what allows them to strike back. And that's the thing. I think A New Hope, and especially the Death Star, ultimately represents the just absolute arrogance of the Empire. Yes. They're at their peak 
of their just absolute, like, well, no one can touch us. We're the Empire. We've been in charge for 20 years almost. We've got the ultimate weapon at our disposal. We've got all these, we've got all the power. No one could possibly challenge us. And you know, even Darkin, like, evacuate in our moment of triumph? Like, he, he doesn't even get at that point. It isn't until the Death Star is destroyed that the Empire has a wake-up call and realizes mm. we can't, we can no longer, like, let this rebel threat just keep going. And so the Empire Strikes Back is the reaction to that, is the fact that, and just even, like, take, for example, how Vader is portrayed in A New Hope versus The Empire Strikes Back. A New Hope, he shows up after all of the fighting is done on the Tainted Four. Like, they all, after they've come in, the Stormtroopers have cleared out all the Rebels, and he walks in. Yep. And he doesn't have to do any fighting. He just comes in and starts choking out that guy and interrogates him and whatever. Cut to The Empire Strikes Back. He is at the front of the line going into Echo Base. Yep. Going in there to capture or kill whoever it takes. Yep. And then later on, as you said, he's there. He's ahead of them. He's already there sitting at the table going, what took you guys so long? Yep. Like, I got dinner prepared here. What do you kept me waiting? So um, great. So it's the ultimate, like, just Vader himself is kind of like in the background. He's not doing a whole lot. In Empire, he comes to life. And he is there, and he is ready to wreck the house. Yep. Also, probably the worst possible venue for the boyfriend to meet the daddy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh yeah, it's kind of got to love that uh, you know, <laughs> father-in-law, father-in-law meet up. Yep. Yep. Classic. <laughs> Man, so let's talk about Luke for a second too because you know, he uh He's kind of the main character, I mean. He's he's kind of important just just a little bit here, but for the most part, he's kind of off on his own until the very end. Like, he's with them at the beginning of the movie, goes off by himself in the middle, and then kind of reunites with them towards the end. And, you know, he, he does a couple of, of cool things, you know, figuring out the harpoons and tow cables to destroy the AT-ATs. And then he just basically ducks out. And he's just like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to dip out right here and go do my own thing. And, <laughs> and uh... This is this is one thing. I don't know if I send it to, to our group chat or to another group chat, but if I was reviewing this movie today, I would I would actually be kind of frustrated at this plot point. Um, because this is this is this is where the sequel itis kind of comes into play in Empire. Just a little bit. But it's not nearly enough for me to like knock on it now. How dare you? Because it flows so well. But this is the place where we know that it, they had to do some kind of retcon in order to help Luke continue his training because they killed his mentor in A New Hope. Right. So instead, he receives a vision that he's got to go to this far off distant planet to learn from another Jedi that amazingly survived this purge. And oh, oh, yeah. Also, just so happens to be. This mentor's mentor. <laughs> like, what a coincidence. Not only is there another Jedi, but he was the Jedi that trained the Jedi who's training Luke to become a Jedi. Oh. Yeah, you, you, you think about how many retcons in The Empire Strikes Back there are. Like, and people love to complain about, oh, you know, the, the Force Awakens doesn't match up with Last Jedi, and Last Jedi doesn't match up with Rise of Skywalker. Like, Look at look at what a new hope establishes. A new hope establishes that 
Vader and Anakin are two different people. Vader mm. killed Anakin. That all the Jedi are extinct. And then we get to Empire Strikes Back, and that's like, oh, by the way, Vader, Anakin, not the same person. He's your dad. And also, <laughs> by the way, not all the Jedi are extinct. There's yeah. one, at least one more. Like, And it's all just the fact of, like, they were just making these movies. They didn't. Empire Strikes Back wasn't planned. Um, the whole reason Ben Kenobi was killed off is because I think maybe he didn't want to be in more films, or it was a thing of one of the issues that I heard was that they just didn't like him like hanging around the rebel base doing nothing at the end. So they're like, oh, we'll just kill him off, and then they get to the second movie like, oh, okay, we need another Jedi now, so we have to create Yoda. Yep. Oh no. Yep. So retcons everywhere. Well, but we I'm- got Yoda out of it, so I mean, I'm not complaining. He, uh, he, well, that's the thing is by, by making this Jedi mentor an alien and a puppet, it gives you a very stark contrast to what you perceive the Jedi to be. Because yeah. when you're, when you're seeing Obi-Wan training Luke, you think that it's like some sort of human religion. Mm-hmm. But then when you see a creature like Yoda, possess force abilities and have the kind of knowledge and wisdom that he imparts on Luke while he's on Dagobah, you realize there's a lot more to the force than meets the eye. And like the X-Wing sequence is probably one of the most crucial sequences in the film, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Because you've got big, strong, hero, youthful Luke trying to get the X-Wing out of the water. And then you've got this this crotchety old green Muppet who is able to stick out his three fingers and, and wiggle his eyelids. And suddenly this machine flies out of the water. And, and so you, you've got this, this really big contrast now that size is not what matters. It's about your connection to the force. Exactly. And, and if your connection to the force requires practice and time and training to be able to hone your skills, then yeah, Luke should have stayed on Dagobah instead of going to help his friends. He says, yeah. I feel the force, and then Ben counters, you cannot control it. And what's so cool is, like, literally 15 minutes later, you can see Luke's reflexes and fighting skills improved with this duel against Vader. Yep. But the one place that he fails in is when Vader starts force-throwing things at him. He gets beat upside the head. He gets knocked every which way. He's swinging his lightsaber around like a hatchet or something. Like he's completely thrown off his game when the force starts coming into play, and you just you just can tell that his instincts are not what they were during the trench run, and that's directly because while on Dagobah, Ben says, "If you want to do this, I can't help you." Mm-hmm. And when you see that inexperienced Luke trying to fend for himself, you realize just how unprepared and overmatched he is. And that's another aspect of the Empire striking back. You've got a Sith Lord in his prime fighting the equivalent of what Anakin was in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the improvement of of Luke Skywalker through these movies. Because in at the end of A New Hope, he's taken what little he's learned and applied it, and it works with the destruction of the Death Star. And in this one, he's got some training under his belt. He's got some more force ability under his belt, and 
he almost makes it, but it's still not enough, quite enough to defeat Vader. And then obviously we'll get to Return of the Jedi. But in this one, I would say he's going at like, you know, 50 or 75 percent of his full capacity. Um, But that's part of the progression of the character. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And what's what's interesting is, you know, you're rooting for this hero. You you want him to succeed, but at the same time, you're. I I don't know if this is if this is true for everyone. It is for me. I was very impressed by how much more Vader during this fight. I, I don't know if I'm using my words properly, but it's almost like he was toying with Luke at times. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he absolutely was. Because at the at the at the beginning of the fight, he's fighting him like one handed, and then towards the end of the fight, he was like holding his breath so that Luke wouldn't be able to hear his respirator, and yep. then, like was just forcing the issue. Like you see him start to press the attack. No pun intended. Yeah, force the attack. Yeah, uh, it's getting late. I'm getting punchy, uh, but you you see him finally being like, "All right, I had enough of this. Time for you to come with me, boy." And... Yeah, I think I think he definitely underestimates Luke at first. Mm-hmm. I think he legitimately is like when he says "most impressive," like he means it. Like he's kind of expecting that, and maybe Vader doesn't really know that Luke went off to Dagobah to learn from Yoda. I mean, who knows if Vader even knows if Yoda's still alive I don't at think that point. I don't think he does, because like, in both, of, in both this movie and Return of the Jedi, he keeps referencing Obi-Wan. He's like, right. Obi-Wan has taught you well. You have controlled your fear. Now release your anger. And then like on Death Star 2, he's like, Obi-Wan has taught you well. Mm. I don't think he realizes that there was training from Yoda involved at, like, at all. Yeah, he doesn't. He never acknowledges Yoda. Neither does neither does Palpatine, um, which is kind of interesting because in Revenge of the Sith, which is obviously written well after these movies, yeah, um, they do know he's alive, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I think through that fight, Vader is definitely like, okay, this is gonna be simple, easy. I'll push him in the carbon freezing chamber, and it's over. I'll take him back to the Emperor. And then throughout it, you know, Luke kind of catches him off guard at every turn to where the point you get to. The, uh, the the porch in the window where he throws him out the window, basically. I think that's Vader just kind of coming undone. Especially when they get on the platform. Like, he's like, oh, hell no, you little twit. I'm mm. taking you down right now. Oh, yeah. Take especially, your arm off. Especially when, like, Luke got that one lucky blow on his shoulder there. He's just like, all right. <laughs> I'm not playing nice anymore. No more Mr. Nice Sith Lord. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. But, okay, I, I know that we're not super crazy about hypotheticals around here, but... Who said that? What do you think the sequel to this movie would have been like if Luke had fallen into that carbon freezing chamber and Vader had successfully frozen him? And see, like, hypothetically speaking, as we're talking here, that would have actually been interesting. Like, it yeah. could have ended where, oh, yeah, Han... Maybe they maybe they got Han back, or maybe they didn't, and maybe the whole thing ends with Leia going back, and she's lost both Han and Leia, Han and Luke, and Leia? Uh, lost Leia. This, I can't this sounds like the ele- This sounds like the elevator pitch for a Star Wars What If series. I, oh, 
Dude. That would be awesome, wouldn't I, it? I do, I do love, have you seen, like, bits of the whole um, Infinities comics? I haven't actually read them, but I've read, read, like, about them and, like, the whole thing. I love the concepts that they brought, because, like, the Empire Strikes Back it one is Luke goes out in, in the beginning of, in on Hoth, and instead of Han finding him in time, he finds him just in time to have Luke die in his arms. And um, the whole rest of the movie and Into Return of the Jedi is the whole ramifications of what if Luke died and you had to go along with the story and Luke tells Han to go to Dagobah <laughs> to get Jedi training. So Han goes and then it takes them a while to figure out, no, Han, you're not exactly cut out for this. <laughs> oh my That'd God. That'd be interesting. So the what if stories exist and I want them to bring them back. I'm like, do it. Do, do like what Marvel's doing. Do the what if, like... You know, what if Luke got captured? You know, yeah. what if? I don't. It, it would be fascinating. Oh, sure. man, because here's, here's the other thing is by getting away, Luke is then able to go to Tatooine and, you know, construct a new lightsaber and, you know, work on his training for another year or two. You know, he he has time to refine his skills and his powers, which makes him a more formidable opponent in Return of the Jedi. But if he is frozen in time at this particular point where he doesn't have that opportunity, then he might be more susceptible to temptation. He might be easier to turn. It, it might be a little bit easier for Palpatine to convince him, you're meant to be here with me. Take your father's place at my side. Like, he might be a little bit more susceptible to to anguish and anger and all that sort of thing at that point in time than he would have been in their interaction that you see in the next movie. Very true. Or like, what if, what if instead of being frozen in Carbonite, Luke actually goes with Vader at the end instead of jumping? Wow, yeah, like if he turned you, almost like the ending of, that reminds me of the ending of the, uh, I don't know if you ever played the, uh, episode three video game for ps2 but the ending there's like an alternate ending where anakin actually kills the emperor and yes yeah that that's kind of a what if too you i, I want to see how that plays out right yeah but if if luke joined the dark side that'd be interesting well it's not too great. late ray may still join the dark side who knows it's it's on the table now that's <laughs> a vision <laughs> you okay there buddy you sound a little congested yeah sorry i have a case of the uh it's a visions well i guess only time will tell um i guess i guess we should take a quick break and uh and discuss what some what some of our favorite elements from this movie are in just a second here that'll be a, a good way to kind of wrap up this discussion we've been at it for a while already and there's so much more that we could cover but honestly uh like we would have to do like a frame for frame shot for shot discussion in order to cover everything about this film. So this is one of those six hour potentially episodes. I'm going to make this suggestion. The next film commentary we do should be the empire strikes back. Oh, I would so be down. I'm on board. I'm on board. I, in fact, 
I would think if we all end up in California, one of the nights that we're all there in California together, we just watch the movie together. That would be amazing. That'd be freaking awesome. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit the pause button for just a second here. We'll come back with some generic discussion questions that we have for just about every movie that we do, and see how it applies to our discussion of The Empire Strikes Back. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all. This is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? All right, so we are back with our discussion of The Empire Strikes Back here on the IPC Podcast. I'm Zach here with Ben and Jake. And guys, can I just say, for one, that it's just really, really nice to be back and geeking out with you guys again. Like, these it is types, awesome. These conversations, these laughs. I've missed mm-hmm. this. I, I, don't get me wrong. I like what I do, and I appreciate that you guys are still here to, like, carry the torch. 
but it's so much more fun when I get to be a part of all this fun with you guys. So uh, it's nice to have you back. I, I have I have very much enjoyed this, and I'm I'm curious now to see if we're going to have similar uh, thoughts on some of these questions, or uh, or if they're going to be like completely different. Because the diversity involved in this film, as far as you know, quotable moments, funny moments, uh, emotional moments, great action sequences. Like this movie has just about everything. Mm. So I don't know, like. Let, let's talk about the memories attached to it first, because I, I don't know if this is what you mean by favorite memory, Ben, but um, I'm going to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Like, what is a memory that you guys have that you have attached to The Empire Strikes Back specifically? Not Star Wars, but like a memory that still resonates with you about something from this movie. I remember when I was probably six or seven, my brother would have been four or five and we're from Western New York and we get a lot of snow up there. Uh, We lived there for the first 10 years of my life, but when, yeah, I was about six or seven and I remember, you know, we'd seen all the star Wars movies up to that point. Um, but one of my favorite scenes, my mine and my brother's favorite scenes to replay in the winter while it was snowing. We, while we always like to pretend it was hot outside, first of all, <laughs> that was just great. But um, there was I can't remember if it was part of a VHS or DVD that we had, but there was a Star Wars trailer that just kind of um, advertised, I think, the it was like the original trilogy up to episode two or something like that because i don't think episode three had come out yet something like that i forget but there was uh, a sequence in there where it showed luke falling in the snow on hoth and i remember that specifically and from the movie obviously but they, they just kind of focused on it in this trailer but uh me and my brother would pretend we were luke and just like falling in the snow after walking for so long. And I don't know why that was just so fun for us to do. Cause we do that every time we went outside and we'd just be, Hey, look, I'm Luke and fall in the snow. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And if you are a fan of star Wars or the empire strikes back and you grew up in a place where you got a lot of snow, I'm sure that pretending like it was Hoth wasn't, uh, wasn't that hard to do and almost unavoidable. Yeah. For me, um, and that's great. I love. I I can't really relate because I got snow like twice for like my entire life <laughs> where I live. Um, not much snow, so not much uh, role playing as Hoth, unfortunately. But what I remember specifically is I remember for one, I was I've told I've told the story ad nauseum, so I'm not going to get into it again. But essentially, I had the Empire Strikes Back on VHS. I was emotionally scarred, probably from. Jurassic Park, and yeah. I knew the Wampa was at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back, so there was a period of time, an extended period of time, where I would not watch this movie because I was terrified <laughs> of even getting a glimpse of the Wampa. So, for a while, I didn't watch this movie. I actually watched A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, wow. and would kind of fill in the blanks as far as like what happened in the Empire, and I remember one of the times, and this is pre-internet not pre-internet but i didn't have access to the internet i couldn't look up anything like this all i had was like you know catalogs of like action figures just like that like just small things and i remember like my fan theories for like what i thought certain things would i remember seeing 
Cloud City, and I thought that was the unfinished Death Star 2. I thought uh, that was I thought uh, as a kid I'm like oh well, that makes sense that uh you know you have and it's something that I as adult really don't think about but like being that Cloud City is this giant like kind of circular floating thing in the sky that's metal um it looks a lot like the Death Star just I can unfinished. see that I can see that inside and out really because you look at the inside especially down in the bowels of it where Vader and Luke are fighting it's very imperial esque. Um, yep. but obvi- obviously that theory didn't come to pass. <laughs> I was a dumb kid, but you know, it, I just, I find it fascinating to look back and going like, yeah, that, that is weird. The things that we think up as kids that seem really plausible are not the case. All right. Yep. Well, yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's, I can see that. I'm trying to think of like a big memory attached to this. I think I was just I was a big conspiracy theorist when I was a kid and Mm. it's it's turned into like full blown conspiracy theories, like actual political and, you know, physical theories like the Antarctica conspiracy theory. I don't know if you guys have seen that on Twitter. Ooh, I want to know what that's about. It's interesting. It's, It's really like, that's the kind of conspiracy theory that I get into is like, like, Antarctica is really a portal to Area 51 or something like that. It's it's crazy. Uh, It gets right up there with we're living in a uh, manufactured reality. This is all simulation, all that kind of stuff. We're in the Matrix, man. Basically. Basically. Um, And the word is flat. (laughs) Okay. That one's real. Yeah, of course it is. Of course (laughs) it is. Because there's just we're that's why we have a water supply problem. It's just falling off the edge of the earth. Didn't you see all the planets in Star Wars? They're all flat. That's that's based on, on facts, all right? Oh, my. Science. Blinded me with science! Um, <laughs> my conspiracy theory as a kid always revolved around this concept of the Death Star and what it meant and what it represented. I had this theory that if... This, if there was an area that you had the potential to fall to your death in, then it was a it was a part or a piece or it was loosely connected to the Death Star. And okay. so in the Phantom Menace, the reactor shaft that Darth Maul falls down was a shot that greatly resembled the fall that Luke took in Cloud City. Mm. Right. And so I was watching Star Wars movies kind of around that that late 90s, early 2000s time. And I was watching both Empire and Phantom Menace on VHS. Not always back to back, but I was making these connections, these dots in my mind. And for some reason, I thought that both of those types of falls happened within the Death Star. Like, mm. there was destruction on the Death Star happening on Naboo, and then the Death Star's project wasn't completed on Cloud City, similar to what you thought about how it was, like, an unfinished Death Star 2, Jake. Right. I, I, I Was it Ben? I'm sorry. Yeah. Why, are you getting us confused already? Yeah. Jeez, you really have been away from the yeah, show. Yeah, I've, I've been away too long. I've been away too long. Much like how that was an unfinished Death Star 2, I didn't quite get to that point. I was just looking at it from the parallels of the camera shots yeah. and, and was thinking 
these two are connected somehow. Darth Maul falls to his death. Luke blew up the Death Star. They need <laughs> a new one. Therefore, these shafts are similar to the one that the Emperor falls down in the Death Star <laughs> in Return of the Jedi. Like, I guess I thought all reactor shafts only existed in the Death Star. I Well... You were catching on to what George Lucas was intending anyway, I think, with the whole like echoing and the, and... the echoing and the sim and the symmetry and the and the, the, the imagery, the the mirroring, whatever you want to call it. Yes, I I was picking up on it loosely. I just didn't realize that was what I was picking up on. Right. But you know, it's funny it's funny now that we have the Rise of Skywalker, we know that each time someone was thrown down a bottomless shaft they did not die. <laughs> you have true. Darth Maul. You have Luke Skywalker. You have Sheaf Palpatine. Um, am I missing anyone? <laughs> like they all survived, right? That's I don't. So I don't know. I'll, I'd have to look into that. But I guess like it's not the Death Star. It's just the star that they keep falling down. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe we were wrong. I was always criticizing the Empire for like, why don't you put railings around these giant pits? But. Uh, Apparently, it prolongs your life if you get thrown down one. Right? Like, you actually survive longer. <laughs> Somehow, you, 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 you just go into hiding until everybody forgets about you, and then you just make some magical comeback. <laughs> For real, like, Maul, like, you know, he's, he's up and around, and he gets thrown down a shaft, and, like, you know, I think it was, like, 30, he lives, like, 20 more years after that mm. until Obi-Wan finally finishes him off, and then... Who knows what's going to happen with Palpatine? 30 years on, he's still kicking, so. Yeah. <sighs> Who knows? <laughs> Who freaking knows? Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of OT memories, I guess, because I... You were but a wee lad. I was. Like, I didn't really get started until the mid to late 90s. That's, like, when I can actually remember those types of things. I remember watching it on VHS with my dad. And I remember being a conspiracy theorist thinking everything tied back into the Death Star somehow. Those are really the big things that I remember. Yeah, it's funny. I do remember watching the films, at least A New Hope for the first time, but now I don't remember what my reaction was to them. I remember mm. obviously liking them, but I don't remember, like, what I thought of the movie after I saw it. And I don't even remember, like, the first time I saw Empire or Jedi. It was just like they were kind of always there. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I honestly... Aside from maybe The Phantom Menace, I don't know if it was actually the movies that got me super interested in the franchise. I honestly think I watched the movies enough times that I was like, okay, yeah, I know what's going to happen. I don't know if I want to watch it again. I want to see something different that happens in this universe. Mm -hmm. And then I go to my local library and guess what I find? I found the novels. Not what I was yeah. expecting. I found the expanded universe at the time, the Legends canon as it's known as now. Mm. And all of a sudden, I've got Luke Skywalker going on these other adventures. All of a sudden, I've got new characters like Mara Jade and uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn and people like that. And I'm figuring out that there is like a whole universe to learn about from this franchise. And those six movies only, you know, touch the surface. Yeah. And after that, like when I was about 12 or 13, I committed myself to reading like 10 Wikipedia articles a day. 
like learning as many new things as I could about certain characters, certain types of vessels, um, you know, just anything that I could. I was picking up all kinds of new Star Wars information, and I became like a trivia guru in my high school years. I was that kind of nerd. I wasn't just like the geeky glasses type nerd. I was like the nerd that looked at his computer, and he wasn't going to like X-rated sites. He was going to Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) But when the person came up and they're like, what are you doing at this late of an hour? I'm looking at uh, porn. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty pretty much. So, yeah, I did I did have some movie memories, but I think the thing that really got me hooked on the franchise for a time there was the expanded universe. And for for many years, that's all people had. That's, that was pretty you know all that we had. Yeah, like Heir to the Empire came out in nineteen ninety something, and like that was the only thing happening at that point. The prequels yep. weren't really even in production at that point. It really like it brought Star Wars back into the public consciousness because at that point it was just oh it was just three old movies yep. it came out in the 70s and 80s and the books just expanded it out there and i i hate that people nowadays are like eh, the legends whatever like no those were those were the that's that was that was the thing back Dude. in the day and there's still a lot of great stuff in there yeah the the heir to the empire trilogy the jedi academy trilogy the fate of the jedi series those those were some really well written novels. And and speaking of Rise of Skywalker, there's a lot of connections going on now between the Thrawn trilogy with the Katana fleet. People are speculating that that fleet of Star Destroyers we see could be something similar in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, the ones mm. that were expand like they were exploring the unknown regions and then they got recalled back into regular space. Right, because I think the Katana fleet was something along the lines of, it was a, like a dreadnought fleet that the Republic commissioned way back in the day, then it was lost. Mm. And then, like, in the books, the remnants of the Empire and the Republic are trying to kind of find it. And they're, now it looks like maybe there's something similar going on in Rise of Skywalker, that there's this mysterious fleet of Star Destroyers out there that either, if the Resistance or the First Order got their hands on it, could be kind of a, could could end the war pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, and and then there's also the speculation that the Death Star wasn't originally intended to help conquer the known galaxy. True. And there's a bunch of we- there's weapons on the bottom of those Star Destroyers. If you lighten up the pictures, mm-hmm. there's big blaster guns on the bottom of those things that could be used for like aerial bombardments. Oh dang! Jeez. So, Pudu's gonna get real. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's just about ready now. While we're talking about ships and fleets and stuff like that i would be remiss if i did not make one more mention of the executor oh yes vader's flagship in this Mm. movie badass oh my gosh like just looking at the images of this you know that here i am on wikipedia right now looking at this thing uh 19,000 meters in length unbelievable 19,000. It's got 5,000 turbo lasers and has a complement of over 1,000 fighters. Crew of thousands. Like, it doesn't even say, like, what the actual crew complement is. It's just a crew of thousands. This is almost a Star Destroyer or a Death Star. I love that 
opening scene, not the opening scene, but the first scene we get of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And yep. it, first of all, it introduces the Imperial March. The first time we've ever heard that theme in that yep. scene, which is fantastic. But also the sense of scale that you get with that scene in regards to the first time you you see it kind of start to off in the distance. You see something coming over that's kind of reminiscent of A New Hope, but also very different in the way that it's just the bridge, just the bridge passing over the camera. And then you see the Star Destroyers, and then they start being shadowed by something much, much bigger. Yep. And it's the Executor. And it's just the sense of scale you get in that scene is incredible. Yep. I mean, it, it, you thought you thought that Vader's ship in A New Hope was big. And and you, you, you see that style of ship. You see that, that type of ship first and then like you said the shadow kind of appears over it you're you see the tanif 4 escape you see vader in pursuit and it takes a really really long time for that panning shot to finish and then you see that type of ship here in empire strikes back and then the executor comes over the top of it and it shadows that ship Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it dwarfs that ship by comparison and you're just sitting here going wait a second Wait, 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 wait a second. Um, okay, hold on. I found another. This is this isn't Wikipedia. This is like the the spinoff Wikipedia page. It says, <laughs> it says the crew complement is over two hundred and seventy thousand people. What? Wow. I don't even know how you fit that many people onto that ship. But I mean, nineteen thousand meters from stem to stern. I guess it makes sense. 270,000, you said? It's uh, To be exact, crew complement is estimated at 279,144. Okay, so that is just under the population of St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh, boy. <laughs> I've seen I've seen comparison photos of it, and I think they they like compare it to the island of Manhattan, and like it's bigger than that. Yeah, <laughs> like it's crazy huge. Like oh my gosh, that that thing is big enough to have its own gravitational field. Who needs a tractor beam? That's big enough to be a small planet. It really is. It really uh, is. It's man, it's ridiculous. And I think that's the thing that I love is. You know, in in A New Hope, you see that those Imperial-class destroyers are really large, really intimidating. The Death Star is really large, really intimidating. But that's not all that the Empire has to offer. And to see, like, Vader with his own flagship that is just enormous compared to all the others, you're like, okay, the Empire didn't put all their eggs into one basket. You know, they didn't invest everything in the Death Star. They've got a fleet, and Vader's in command of that fleet, and he's got a pretty kick-ass ship that's at the front of that armada. Like, mm. it's it's really really impressive. Yeah, yeah for absolutely. sure. Sorry, I just I I felt like I would be very disappointed in myself if I didn't make mention of that particular ship. No, that was we'd be remiss not to I would, talk about that amazing ship. I love the Executor. I think part of it is I just I just love the design. Like the other ones are very mm. triangular in nature, but this one is almost like a needle or an arrowhead shape, if you will. Yeah. And so it's just an amazing ship design. That ship 
is probably one of my favorite ship designs. I think I might like the Executor class over the Enterprise class from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, I know that that's saying a lot, but honestly, the, the, the NCC-1701 isn't even my favorite ship design in Star Trek, but I would... I'd be really digressing if I went off on that little tangent. but That's sacrilege. Yeah. Uh, just go watch Deep Space Nine and tell me what you think of The Defiant and get back to me. <laughs> I will have to do that. Seriously, though, I need you guys to watch some of these other shows so that I can geek out about it with somebody. I know, I know. I'm still working through the original uh, series. Oh, you have my sympathies. I, I'm digging it. I like it's, it. It's it's decently written, but the action sequences and stuff are just nothing compared to like the it's, next it's generation. A, it, it has a charm. It's a product of his time. Yeah, it has a charm to it. I think. Uh, okay. Well, let me know when you get to next generation. Then I can have some conversations with you. All right. All right. I will. And Ben, you gotta watch Parks and Rec, brother. I know. Serious. I, <laughs> I was watching an episode today where they trapped a journalist by using midi chlorian references. <laughs> they they found out yeah. that the journalist had tapped into their email and they were getting the the scoops on stories by reading the correspondence and they're like, "What about these reports that the uh that the ground is infested with midi chlorians? Can you comment on that?" Yeah. And they're, <laughs> and they're like, ha ha, got you, journalists. I'm the one that got you. <laughs> Freaking hilarious. Oh, uh, love it. Let's talk about locations for a second, because we've got a okay. lot of different locations in this movie. You've got Hoth. You've got Dagobah. You've got Cloud City. You've got, you know, Imperial Star Destroyers like the Executor. You've got the, the asteroid field that they're flying through. There's a lot that's very different about this film because in a new hope you basically had uh tatooine you had the death star and you had a little bit on yavin 4 that was about it really kind of up their game in this film mm. which one do you guys enjoy the most ben oh i think i don't know um hoth i think is one of the more, more interesting i mean just the way they establish it they have you know they have the tauntauns and they have the wampas and the whole thing, and the fact that, you know, you can't, like, just going outside in general, you can imagine, is freaking painful and dangerous. And then going out at night will literally kill you. You'll like, die if you whole, go out there. Yeah, and they just came from a jungle planet, like, you know, yeah, it's kind of warm, but whatever. Like, no big deal. Like, this is super, like, intense. And it shows kind of the desperation of the Rebel Alliance, that they have to go out and set up a base on this really inhospitable planet just to survive. Um, otherwise, the Empire is going to find them. But they end up finding them anyway. <laughs> so mm. it just goes to show like how screwed the Rebels are at this point. Yeah, those Imperial probe droids, they, uh, they were a lot wider reaching than I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Like, are they equipped with micro light speed drives or something or are they just being dispatched by every ship in the fleet across the galaxy don't know i i it's 
Because, like, they the impression to, that yeah. I got was, like, in that opening shot, there's, like, seven or eight of them, and it's, like, pew, 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 pew kind of well, thing. Well, here, here's what I think. I think that those were sent – I mean, I'd have to rewatch the scene again to know for sure, but I always got the impression that they were sending all of them to Hoth, and they were just going to different places on Hoth. Like the – like, different parts of the same planet or different parts of the yeah, same Yeah, and – well – yeah, maybe even the same system, like, because it wouldn't be that hard if they, if they were all close enough together, maybe. But, um, yeah, I don't think they were going to, like, f- planets way further away. Like, they weren't going to, you know, Tatooine or anything. You can imagine, like, how many probes they had to send out and how many planets there are. Like, the Rebels are not going to, you know, hospitable, you know, normal planets that are inhabited. Like they're going mm-hmm. to uninhabited planets. Like, they could be anywhere, and there's probably, what, trillions of planets? <laughs> right, like, yeah. In the Star Wars galaxy? Like, it's a very densely imagine, populated like, universe. How many of those things, and still, they have to find them. They're in a hidden base that the only, like, identifying factor to it is the big shield generator. Like, the rest of it's pretty well hidden. Like, yeah. you know, and they, they've managed to find it. you got to give it to the Empire. They got lucky. They really they did. did. indeed. But, you know, what's interesting is, like, even the even even the quote that's attached to when they when they finally made it to the Hoth system, you know, they're like, Comscan has detected an area protecting the sixth planet of the Hoth system. So there's multiple planets within this system. It's technically not Hoth. It's, the yeah. The, the sixth planet in the Hoth system. And, okay. uh, I mean, the forest moon of Endor, everybody just calls it Endor. Right. I'm pretty sure Endor is a gas giant like Yavin is, but I digress. It's it's just it's interesting that if those probes were dispatched to the Hoth system, and they were going to each of those individual planets to scan, they were sent from an Imperial class star destroyer that was in the Hoth system. Mm. Yeah. Because they're traveling at sublight, so that would mean there's at least one star destroyer that is within some kind of range. Why didn't the rebels pick that ship up in their system? Shouldn't they have had like some kind of scanners, like orbital scanners that were keeping up with movements within their star system? Why didn't they pick up that ship? Plot uh, hole. This movie has lost all credibility <laughs> for me. Well, the other thing is, does that mean that ship is the comm scan that General Veers was referring to? They just tried to stay out of range as best they possible, and they were ordered to not engage until the rest of the fleet comes in. You know, what would have happened if they were in that system, they found out the Rebels are there, and they decided to engage before the rest of the fleet showed up? Would they have had any success, or would they have just dispatched the fighters and gotten rid of that ship and then evacuated before the fleet got there? You know, there's just there's a lot of questions that I've got about these probes and where they came from and just how long it took the fleet to get there. Like there's there's a lot to this that is still a little befuddling to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star Wars is ruined. It's too many questions. They got right? they got to they got to address these plot holes right now. Right. Otherwise, otherwise it just no loses all credibility and all enjoyment for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my favorite. Uh, Actually, location. I do mind because I'm not done with my tangent yet. You're okay, gonna... fine. You can finish. <laughs> I, I, Go ahead, Jake. Just ignore him. Oh, okay, okay. Um. I I gotta say my favorite place it well I think this movie has 
the best places in Star Wars in it, I, I think. I, I love Hoth. I love, or I'm sorry, the sixth planet in the Hoth system. Um, yeah, right. I love Dagobah. I, lo- I love it all. But my favorite location in this movie has to be the Cloud City in Bespin. Uh, or on Bespin, whatever. The gas giant of Bespin. There's just this floating city. It's a mining uh, colony, I think he calls it. Just very cool idea and visually uh, striking. Uh, I don't know. I just I've always loved this place. I've always wanted to go there. I always thought it would be a cool place to to stay. You know, I bet you could get a pretty cool Airbnb there if you're passing through the galaxy. Um, I love the cloud cars. That was one of the first Lego sets I ever got was the cloud car. Um, And I don't know. That's just that's always my favorite location to visit in this movie that's great i would like them to go back sometime yes i'd love that a return to cloud city sounds somewhat inevitable if a solo sequel ends up happening i was gonna say that yep like you you kind of need to and also cloud city gets used a lot in the legends canon so if you need another reason to go read the legends canon go read it to have adventures in cloud city yep and who doesn't love lobot oh my gosh Lobot is such an integral character. Yeah. Bring him back. And he's not a playable character in Lego Star Wars, which is a bummer. Justice for Lobot. Or was he? And I just don't remember. I thought he was. I feel like he should be. If he's not, we're rioting. Should he he have been? Well, but should he have been a droid or should he have had guns? Because all he did was coordinate the guard's effort. He didn't fire the gun himself. I thought maybe he was one of those characters that could, like, access computers or something. Like one of the interfacing, like a droid? Yeah. Well, yeah, because he is, like, he's hooked into the computer system on Cloud City. He's because, like, like the walking central computer core. Right. Like, Lando just touches his uh, wrist thing, and he lights up and was like, oh, oh, Lando, you need me. I'm coming. <laughs> Such an interesting way to put it. He's also, like... Nonverbal. I don't think Lobot speaks a single word in the movie. No, he doesn't. And yet, he doesn't. Um, and yet, becomes a fan favorite because he's awesome. He is. He is. Um, you know, I think, I think I'd have to pick Cloud City as well, if only for one thing: the man evacuating with his ice cream machine. <laughs> yep. I saw that scene yesterday, and I just about <laughs> lost it. I was like, all these people carrying luggage and boxes and their loved ones, and this guy is going out with his ice cream sundae machine. Look, Pack if you're priorities, if you're trying to save your life, the one thing that you want to have at the end of your life is an ice cream machine. I need ice cream. Ah, uh, see, I would have brought my tablet. I would have brought like some canned goods. I would have brought, I don't know, maybe a weapon. I don't know, but an ice cream. Ice ice cream could be a weapon. Have you ever heard of brain freeze? Make ice cream, not war. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That could be. I can see that printed on a T-shirt with that guy's screen grab right in the middle. (laughs) Oh, my God. Ben, you know what to do. (laughs) Yeah. That's, yep, that's a that's a meme. Just go follow the SWU on Facebook and Instagram. You'll see that. In the I'm, next I'm making it right now. Make make ice cream, not Star Wars. <laughs> oh my gosh, 
Uh, I do need to give a quick shout out to Dagobah though, because the scene in the caves was really awesome. Oh yeah. Like Luke confronting himself and the type of training that he goes through. Like he failed at the cave. Yoda literally called it. Remember your failure at the cave. And then he failed to get the X-Wing out, and yet he still thinks he's ready to go and take on Darth Vader. Like, he did learn a lot, but he didn't quite learn enough. And it's just, it's frustrating, but it's also intriguing because you're like, oh, hey, uh, you trained here for quite a bit of time. Yeah, okay, here's the other thing. They freaking traveled from the asteroid belt to Bespin at sublight. Do you know how many years it takes to fly from one system to the next at sublight? <laughs> Luke probably was training for a couple of years at that rate. All right, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we don't need your science facts. <laughs> Ruining our fun. Uh, I, I do like having fun. But, I mean, he he trained for what seemed like a very decent amount of time. His clothes were dirty and grungy. You know, he was he was putting a lot of effort into it and yet still wasn't making the progress that everybody was hoping that he would. And yet he still decides to cut that training short. Like, can you imagine? I, I don't know if this if this would go over very well, but can you imagine like starting a class of some kind? that's a 10 week course and you decide that you're only going to stick around for five or six weeks and then you're going to go and take the final exam now like yeah it's basically it like mm -hmm. that's basically what luke did he studied for you know about half or three quarters the amount of time that people thought he needed to he wasn't a fully trained jedi knight and still decided to go take on the most powerful sith lord in the galaxy he just he went from uh a b to z more or less but the set design for dagobah is just fantastic so yoda's, good. yoda's hut the swamp the creatures that live there the sounds and the the snakes that they had on location there that were real yeah, the snakes aren't aren't something that I noticed until much later in my viewing experience of this. Like within the last, you know, maybe ten years or so, but I I never noticed how like prevalent those snakes were. They're everywhere. Yeah, they've got snakes. I think there were like a couple of iguanas or something like that. Yeah. Like, like they've got some earthbound strange looking creatures. And then they've got some others that, you know, you only see a shadow or you hear Luke step on them or something like that. But you're like, mm. OK, there's a lot of life out there. You know what I am bummed they didn't try and include? I would have loved to have seen them try and include a uh, knobby white spider. Do you, I'm not you, even sure what that is. I, I don't know if I'm calling it right, but. It's something from the from the books and the and the canons, like the, okay. the comics. Um, it's basically a six foot tall spider or something like that. Mm. And during part of Luke's training, he goes into a part of Dagobah that is inhabited by the knobby white spider. Oh, cool! And let me see. See, oh. I didn't know what that was. Does that mean I'm not a true fan? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> exactly what it means, Jake. Uh, land speeder sized arachnid like organism 
native to the swamp world of Dagobah. Oh my goodness. And uh, the, the Navigai spider was in fact a mobile root that was part of Dagobah's gnarled tree's life cycle. Composed primarily of calcified wood, it would break free of its parent tree to roam the swamps and devour animals. After gathering enough nutrients, the spider would find a clear spot to anchor its legs, which would eventually transform into roots that allow the spider to grow into a towering tree. Interesting. It looks like it was in the Clone Wars, too, maybe. I think, if, it's, if I'm remembering correctly, I think there was some that showed up in Rebels. Oh, Rebels, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Oh, really? Did I just not watch that episode? Yeah, I think it's th- there's one there's one episode where they end up at their base and it's like overrun with the things and they have to fight them all. Oh, they call them Krykna spiders. Oh, really? They they call them they, it's 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 a similar design. Yeah. It's it's a similar design. They look almost exactly the same. Non-sentient spider-like creatures native to Adalon. They're resistant to black yep. bolts and highly sensitive to negative emotions, making them extremely difficult to tame with the force. And they were repelled by sensor beacons. I remember those. Right. That's that's the same planet where the Bentu lives, isn't it? Bendu. Yep. Bendu. Yes. Yeah, see, <laughs> ne- it's the, negative the... emotions. I watched the show. I am a Star Wars fan. Wouldn't and that be funny? Like that's like a, your fandom. A, a legit threat from parents. It, it feeds off of negative emotions, so parents could be like, "You better change that bad attitude, or you'll get eaten by a Krikna spider." <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. See, my parents would make a threat like that. <laughs> Anyways, on to our favorite moment from the film. Do we dare all pick the same one, or do we kind of spread it out a little bit? <laughs> i got to see what I wrote down. Oh, I know um, exactly what mine is. Yeah. Okay. Well, go ahead, go Jake. For it. Well, mine has to be one of the best uh, lines in any movie, period is when Han Solo is being lowered into carbonite and Leia says, I love you. And Han says, I know. It's so good. Classic. It's so good. Classic. classic. Perfect. It's such a classic. And and what's funny is that wasn't the original line. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, here, here's something I read on IMDb. In the original script, Han was supposed to say, just remember that, Leia. Because I'll be back. Oh, wow. That is so cliche. So I... much worse. <laughs> but at the time of filling, Harrison Ford wasn't entirely certain that he did want to come back for a third film. <laughs> there so is a recurring legend that his line, I know, was ad-libbed. However, Ar- Alan Arnold's book, Once Upon a Galaxy, a journal of the making of The Empire Strikes Back, includes a transcription of the discussion between Ford and Irvin Kershner in which Ford suggested the line. That's amazing. So I also heard that they tried to use the line, I love you too, just to see if you could get like the exchange, like the mutual exchange of emotion to go. And that didn't work either. So they couldn't say, I love you, and then say, just remember that, Leia, because I'll be back. Like, that didn't work. And you couldn't say, I love you, I love you too, because apparently that didn't work. So who knows how many times they had to practice this line before Irvin was just like, you know what, screw it. Just say what the first thing comes into your head, Harrison. And she's like, I love you. And he just says, I know. (laughs) Like, holy crap. 
Oh my gosh. Um, oh, here's funny. Here's a funny one. I, I love looking at the Star Wars trivia stuff on IMDb. Uh, apparently, when Mark Hamill was having trouble with the Dagobah scenes with Yoda, Frank Oz would bring in Miss Piggy to make him laugh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, like he's he's struggling with his lines and he's like, I I can be a Jedi. Ben, tell him I'm ready. Ready, are you? What are you ready? <laughs> oh, that would be so amazing. <laughs> oh man, if you want to see peak Frank Oz, I would highly recommend watching the 1982 film Dark Crystal. Not just so that you have like a, a better idea of the Age of Resistance series that's now on Netflix. But, you know, puppet work is pretty fantastic in the Muppet movies, and it's pretty fantastic in movies like Star Wars and E.T. But Frank Oz's work in a completely puppet feature-length film is just unprecedented and unparalleled. And the fact that it came out just two years after Star Wars did means that they were probably, like, at least working on it while they were filming Star Wars. And then, like, almost as soon as Star Wars finished, they started filming The Dark Crystal. Wow. Like, like it's, a, it's a straight transition out of Yoda into The Dark Crystal characters. And in my opinion, it really shows. But I'm not going to give away a whole lot of spoilers. I know you guys haven't seen it yet. But this is just for you guys and for our listeners I'm I'm not being paid by Netflix to say this or anything, but oh yeah, sure. Dark Crystals, Dark Crystals, pretty good. It's worth the watch, as is the TV series. I will watch nice. those. Anyways, um, Ben, favorite moment. Ooh, favorite moment. I have to go with it. It's one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars. It's when Yoda first shows up at Luke's camp. And he is in full troll mode. <laughs> and he's just tossing stuff everywhere and making a mess. And it's it's prime Yoda. And I love that it still to this day confuses people. You cannot get in the your ship out. <laughs> it's perfect. And people are like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, he's not acting like Yoda should act like. It's like, exactly. He is screwing with Luke the entire time. He's like, okay, this whole thing with, you know, to be a Jedi, you have to be patient. You have to draw on your patience. And Luke doesn't have any of it. He's not cut out for this. And he's not prepared to have to deal with Yoda's shenanigans. And Yoda knows it. And he, he just it's just great. Yep. That is a great moment. One day I was walking and I came across this log. <laughs> And he had to go there. Underneath this log was this tiny little stick. And I was like, that log had a child. Ben, why did you even have to bring it up? <laughs> well, I guess I'm going to have to introduce that music somewhere during this episode. Because it's inevitable. <laughs> I freaking love that song. I just... I, I would listen to it on repeat just for the laughs because the visuals that go along with it are so amazing. Like, I know that, that 
bad lip reading has done stuff like with NFL players and uh, other movies and even other Star Wars sequences like um, the one on Tatooine. What what is it? The something of love, the bushes of love, or something like that. Like I maybe I I know that they tried one with with Ben Kenobi and it, it didn't just it just didn't go as well. And I think the difference is when you've got puppet mouths moving, it's a little bit easier to pretend what it is they're saying. And so, you know, all you had to do was just make Yoda say something weird and it fit somehow. And like, oh my gosh, the way that they came up with all this stuff, it just, it makes me laugh every single time. My sister and I have a running gag in our, in our uh, Facebook chats where every now and again, I'll just send her like a gif of seagulls flying on the beach and she'll write me back and just be like, Stop it now. Stop <laughs> it, please. Don't hit me. Oh, my gosh. That's it. That. Oh, man, that skit is oh. out of this out of the world. What's, it's amazing. What's really funny is like that scene was almost completely ruined for me now because <laughs> when Luke is doing his, when Luke is doing his training on Dagobah and it's supposed to be like really serious and Yoda's like training him on the ways of the force. I see him doing like his front flip over the log, and all I can think of is now run, 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 jump. I can be your backpack while you run. <laughs> Swing from this hairy vine. Yes, it took me out of the movie completely because all I could think of was the song. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that they made. They actually were able to take what's in the movie turn it on its head and go, oh, God, like, that's funny. And then also make a catchy song out of it. Yes. Like, it's amazing. Oh, man. Okay, so now I know what I'm going to be doing when this episode is over. I'm going to go watch that about a dozen times. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) We have to now. We have to. Mm, Stop it now. (laughs) Uh, Favorite moment for me. Um... it's a little it's a little cliche but i do like that big reveal at the end of the movie you know because there's so there was so much mystery involving the finish you know the the big reveal doesn't always get to me the way that it used to because i know the story backwards and forwards but the the interesting thing is like the more I learn about it, the more I realize just how many steps George Lucas and Irvin Kirshner took in order to prevent spoilers from getting out. Like, if we want to talk about managing leaks with movies like Avengers and stuff, Lucas and Kirshner were way ahead of their time because yeah. they had it in the script that Vader was going to say, Obi-Wan killed your father. Yeah, And then Luke would be like, no, that's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. And then he feels betrayed by Obi-Wan, and that's why he screams out, no! And they made such detailed precautions that they didn't tell Mark Hamill until right before they shot it. And they didn't tell James Earl Jones until it was like right at the time for him to say that line. Like, he did all the other recordings and came all the way up to that point. He was ready to say, Obi-Wan killed your father. And then they're like, and cut. What you're actually going to say is, I am your father. 
and they certainly didn't tell Dave Prowse. That's exactly was, what I'm getting at. That was yeah. exactly my next point. They didn't tell Prowse, and he actually said on set, Obi-Wan killed your father. Luke had to react. Mark Hamill had to react as if he had just gotten the news, I am your father. And then Prowse didn't even know that the line was going to be dubbed over until he saw it in the theater. They didn't even do him the courtesy of telling him his line was going to be dubbed over until it happened in the movie. And do you know what he did when he actually saw that? The level of disrespect. Oh, my gosh. Tell us that. Okay. So when Dave Prowse, of course, didn't know that, nobody knew it, it goes and sees the movie, realizes that that was his actual line, that is, I am your father— he leaves the theater, the press is waiting outside, and he goes, oh, I can't believe I'm Luke's father. Oh. Yeah. Tells the press this before the movie's out. Um. And Lucasfilm had to practically beg the press to not print what Prowse said. And uh, needless to say, uh, Dave Prowse does not have a good relationship with Lucasfilm. <laughs> nope. Mm. Well, he's not very good at keeping secrets. He, let's put it that way. He believes himself to be the true Darth Vader. Yeah, he has. Yeah, apparently everything. his his Twitter handle is is Darth Vader. Dave Prowse is Darth Vader. Um, so that that's a little bit of window into uh, Dave Prowse. Um, all due respect to him. All due respect, but yeah, he done goofed a couple times. Well, and it's just it's petty as hell to do something like that, you know. <laughs> He's the number one, not my Vader. Right? It's funny. Probably He probably complained, like, well, why didn't they tell me? Well, because you did what you were going to do. You told people. Yeah. Like, that's why we keep secrets. Oh, man. But that, that level of secrecy is just so, so amazing. To, crazy. To, to be able to keep it under wraps like that all the way up to actually happening in the movie. And what's funny is Harrison Ford didn't know it either. No, and Harrison Ford's reaction was pretty funny too. Kay. Yeah, there's a yeah. Mark Hamill's like, he he turned to me and goes, "Kid, you didn't effing tell me that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> the reaction. And uh, I I love that the secrecy has just progressed since then because like you get to Return of the Jedi and they come up with the fake title, which was Blue Harvest Horror Beyond Imagination. <laughs> and that was the title that they used to out in the open when they were filming in the Redwood Forest and all this kind of stuff, just to keep people away from the set. Because at that point, especially after Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars was huge, and they had even more secrets to keep. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, nobody wants to see the set of a horror film, let's be honest. Exactly. But. And, uh, yeah, apparently, I, I think they even they didn't even tell Dave Prowse where the, where the set was. They just blindfolded him and took him in. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I think the only horror set I would ever want to be on would be the set of Zombies. <laughs> yes. Amen to that. I I still want to make a cameo in that franchise if they keep making movies. Call us, please. Call us. Hey, have us have us be three like radio uh, radio announcers talking about like all the crazy stuff going on. That with would these be escape a band. legit. I'm not even joking you. That would be a highlight of my life to be in one of those movies. Like, was... like, like, totally. Like being just a radio personality that's on the car and they like turn the radio off because they don't want to listen to the bad news that's going on or something like that. 
Yeah. Like just morning morning talk show hosts making light of the situation or something. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what I heard, Jake? I heard that there was a man driving to work in New Jersey yesterday and he rolled over a snake, but the snake <laughs> didn't die and it chased him all the way to Brooklyn. Are you kidding me, Zach? Ben, are you hearing this? I am oh my not God. kidding. You know how far it is from Jersey to Brooklyn? I don't even know because I've never been to Jersey. <laughs> I don't know. Like you just, you just make random crap up like that, and they'd be like, "Okay, I'm sick of hearing this report. Turn that stuff off." Oh man. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, that would that would probably be my favorite moment is is just the the revelation, and then honestly, the the part that comes after it where he's in the infirmary on board the Falcon and he like hears his, he hears Vader call out to him and his first reaction is like, Ben, why didn't you tell me? Like he's so disheartened and distraught and disillusioned. Like it's like his whole world just caved in on him. And that, that type of distress is not easily conveyed. And yet Mark Hamill conveys it perfectly. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I guess we're on to one final question then before we give our final thoughts and our planet scores for the night. Favorite character? Oh, boy. This one also is going to be tough because pretty much all of the actors up their game for this movie, too. Oh, yeah. I, if I can start, I got to go with Lando. I think he's a really cool character in this movie. No pun intended. He's, he's... You know, the coolest. He no, is... no, 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 no. Han is the coolest. I don't know, man. It's a tough... Uh, I beg to differ there. It is a... I'm, I'm signing with Jake here. I he was think... frozen in carbonite. He's obviously the coolest. <laughs> okay, temperature-wise, maybe. But, <laughs> but Lando, he is the definition of cool. I think that he he's smooth. He's he's friendly at first. Like I trusted him when I first saw this movie. I I was all in with Lando, and then it turns out that he he betrayed his friends. You know, he went there, and uh, then we find out later he he actually does have a heart. But that little edge to him made him a very interesting character. He's a he's a complex character. He doesn't just have one side to him. And, uh, you know, he plays with your emotions a little bit. You start off trusting him, then you don't trust him. You're like, how could you? And then you're back to trusting him again. Um, I just, I love this character, and I'm I'm glad he's coming back for the rise of Skywalker. It's going to be good to see him back. Indeed. It, it really is. For me, uh, I, I do really like Lando, but he probably actually comes in second to Yoda for me. Okay. I think as many different iterations of Yoda as we've seen over the years from uh, the Clone Wars to the Clone Wars micro series to uh, The Last Jedi to Rebels to Phantom Menace, there's just no iteration that is better or more iconic than the original one from Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's he's funny. He's wise. He's caring. He's he, he's everything that you would look for in a mentor, but in like a very compact package. Like I don't I don't even know how to describe it, but like yep. everything that you would hope for in a mentor like Ben Kenobi, 
you get from a character like Yoda. And then he, he just turns into like this super classic character that has kind of like transcended the saga to a little bit. Like he's been in just about every series. I don't think he's made an appearance in resistance, but he's, he's been in just about everything. He's been in the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, clone wars, rebels, sequel trilogy. Like there's always a way for Yoda to be included in the franchise, and I think it's because he's just so well-loved. Just like the Force, he binds the galaxy together. Yep. Well, and by being a Force ghost, he now becomes a part of that, I suppose. Right. In doing so, and I don't mean this in a cynical way, but like making a main character a puppet, a Muppet, essentially, which was is mind-blowingly like brave and also just, also just mind-blowing that they pulled it off. They created a character that can literally be used in any way. Like, by the way, something just hit me. I know we're running a bit late here, but I have to mention something. So, back for our 250th episode, you may have heard something at the top of that episode that was quite interesting. A familiar voice that you heard Uh. was none other than Mr. Tom Kane, Uh. who voices Yoda in The Clone Wars and a bunch of other stuff, and uh, our good buddy Joey Mays actually set it up where he sent us a little uh, congratulatory message about reaching 250 episodes, and that was mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe we posted to social media, and maybe you guys have seen it, and I'm sure you heard it on that episode, but that was that just hit me that I wanted to give a special shout-out to Joey for doing that, and uh, having Yoda, of all people, congratulate us on 250 episodes yeah thank you joey that was very fun that was very fun i watched that video so many times oh great it was so great it it was so cool because he's his his studio his in-home studio has one of the actual tribbles from star trek i know like he's got a a verified tribble from the set of star trek the original series and then he like did all kinds of different voices from some of his different characters i was i was uh just waiting for him to like do like an admiral yularen voice or something and, and be like <laughs> or like a scrubbing bubbles voice oh <laughs> scrubbing bubbles i didn't even know but come to think of it yeah that is him that is the scrubbing bubbles guy his voice shows up everywhere he is Everywhere, like no joke. I went to the uh, National World War II Museum in New Orleans, and there's a film that's like a 4D film there. It's got a bunch of different like actors that like contributed to it, like Tom Hanks and John Goodman and a bunch of different people. But like one of the main voices that's like doing a bunch of different like radio announcements and stuff like that from like the 40s is Tom Kane. And you can hear him in the voice. And I'm like, I know that guy. That's so cool. We got some really cool connections here at IPC, don't we? Including including getting a cameo from Tom Kane thanks to Joey Mays. That's that's so cool. Hi, this is Tom Kane, the voice of Jittermaster Yoda. And uh, some Admiral Akba, the forest moon of Endor. It's a trap. And occasionally, um, hello, I'm C-3PO, human cyborg relations. And a bunch of other crazy things, but anyway, I'm here in my studio. I've got this is where I record all my stuff. Um, there, there's my 
my Ventra, the Ventress costume Disney made for my uh, daughter uh, years ago. And here's my studio. I got all kinds of crazy things around here. My favorite collectibles and posters and a couple statues for doing the Oscars and bottles of wine from Tom Hanks and tribbles, actual tribbles from the Trouble with Tribbles. But anyway, congrats on your 250th podcast. Uh, obviously, you guys have been working hard and it seems to be paying off. So uh, from me to you, the force will be with you always. Foreseen it, I have. Yes. Okay, so my favorite. Were you finished, yeah. Zach? Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean Yoda. to cut you off. Yoda. Yoda, Yoda, Yoda. <laughs> okay. Um, so my favorite character, I'm going to have to go with Yoda and, and Lando are both great choices, but I think I'm going to have to go with Han Solo. And I'm not usually like a huge cheerleader for Han Solo. I love Han Solo, but I love other characters more, normally speaking. But this is peak Han Solo. This is Han Solo that's got all the quips. He's got all the jokes. He's got all the remarks. And he's got the best comeback to I love you ever, um, as you mentioned earlier. And just, he's just so great. And just the, the whole character of Han Solo really comes together. Like, I think most of his iconic moments are in this movie. Yeah. Um, from, you know, never tell me the odds to when he, you know, gets in the Falcon and it's not working and he bangs the side of it and it all the lights it lights back up. Like, so it's good. just so many great moments that I think just are outstanding and he, he really just expanded that character so much in this movie well sure. and his chemistry with leia just intensified also because you've got the two of them going on this adventure together and uh you know 3po talks a little bit but he's kind of annoying and and Chewie growls all of his communication so most of the dialogue that happens you've got multiple characters there but a bulk of the dialogue that goes on is between him and Leia. So you really have an opportunity for the two of them to get closer together on this adventure, talking about going from the Inuit system to Bespin, you know, talking about what they're going to do when they're detaching with the rest of the garbage, talking about the hyperdrive, just talking about the ship in general. You know, a lot of that conversation happened between the two of them. And so... Right. You know, you have all those opportunities that lead up to, you know, the big kiss and all of that. Like, there's there's just lots of opportunities for growth in both characters. And, you know, Han, like you said, it's it's kind of peak Han because he's, he's driven, he's focused. And I think part of the reason he's so driven and focused is because he wants to impress her and because he wants to protect her. And so... You know, there's there's a lot of motivations behind what it is that he's doing and, and how dedicated he is to that cause. He'll do it under the pretense of protecting his ship, but I think he's also trying to protect his lady, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's he's trying and sometimes failing to uh, win her over, which is great. Fun fact, another trivia piece that I discovered. Um, Harrison Ford is 6'1", and Carrie Fisher was 5-1. So in order to get the two of them into the same frame, into the same shot, a lot of their face-to-face -face conversations were either sitting down like they were in the cockpit or like the, the scene where she's making the repairs, they zoom in on the two of them, and she's standing on a box. 
<laughs> it's yeah. like Lord of the Rings. It's like, Lord shall Lord. I get you a box? Oh. Well, what's funny is John Reese davies is actually taller than Orlando Bloom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, I love I love the whole just the perception of like, you know, how, you know, and stuff you don't even think about, like, because, you, you know, you know that just from watching the movie that, yeah, you know, Harrison Ford's a bit taller than Carrie Fisher or whatever, but you don't really think about it. And you have those close up scenes where they have to get both heads in the frame, like it, pretty simply. Yep. And it's and it becomes a very, you know, very quickly a logistical issue for framing and uh, the cinematography to get it right. Um, so they got to make make the right decision there with the thing, and then Lord of the Rings is a whole another ball game when it comes to <laughs> totally, <laughs> you know, trying to get two actors uh, that are supposed to be completely different heights in the same frame. Oh yeah, it's a tough thing to do, and yet they were able to accomplish it. Oh man, <sighs> so I, I guess I got one other thing to talk about really, really quickly is that the connections that uh, that they make to. That, that Solo makes to this film by having L3 become the ship's navigator. It ties directly into that line from Empire where 3PO is like, Sir, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it has the most peculiar dialect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. can you just imagine L3 cussing out 3PO and just being like, can you just bloody tell him that that's what's wrong with me so we can get the heck out of here. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yep, I love it. I love the even in the in the novelization for Last Jedi, there's a blurb that R2's on the Falcon and he's he's talking about how there's like three droid brains and obviously one of them is L3 and they're very ornery. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they're kind of arguing with R2 the entire time and yeah, they have kind of a mind of their own. So uh, yeah, L3 is still in there. I'm hoping, I'm hoping there'll be a little a little callback to L3 in The Rise of Skywalker, being that Lando's coming back. Oh, that would be interesting. Like a reunion of sorts, not just with the Falcon, but with L3. Absolutely. Oh, wow. You just just blew my mind. I I like to do that every once in a while. I'll always call L3 SJW. (laughs) Oh, dear. She was the ultimate uh, revolutionist. She was the woke droid. (laughs) Detroit. Get woke or R2 go bro. R two R R two woke. <laughs> oh God. Okay, we need to get into our planet scores before we just go off the rails on a crazy. I think we already have, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so my final thoughts on the Empire Strikes Back is that this is the only perfect Star Wars film. Mm. It is an amazing feat of things. And it's an amazing just masterpiece of a film. And, you know, everyone that knows the production process of these films knows that A New Hope was almost a train wreck. And Empire Strikes Back had its own problems itself, but it was a film that ultimately was a Star Wars film and knew it was a Star Wars film. And I think it shows in the final product that this film, I think A New Hope has aged a little bit. It kind of shows, yeah, you can tell it's a movie that was made in 1977. Empire Strikes Back, I don't think it does. I think this movie looks is just as good, if not better, than it ever did. And I think you put it right up next to anything. And it's the film that has the least amount of changes with special editions. Like, it's basically the same film that came out in 1980. 
and it's just just amazing. And as I said, it's perfect. I didn't notice any of us talk about any flaws in this movie because there are none. You can nitpick all you want, but there there isn't any. Like you can say, oh yeah, with the time thing, with you know them, him on Dagobah and them out in space. Like it's kind of wonky, but ultimately, like that's just a plot thing that you know you can be explained. But what about, what about nothing else? What about the fact that the Thai bombers were dropping bombs in space where there's no gravity? Oh, <laughs> can I hang up on him, please? Yep. I'm losing my connection. <laughs> oh, brother. brother. That stuff again. Yeah, I just, uh, I didn't hear anything. Did you hear something? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, besides that, there's nothing to be said about this movie other than the fact that it is is perfect. And that's the whole thing with, like, everyone's talking about, oh, what if the next Star Wars film is going to be better than Empire Strikes Back? Like, okay, first of all, you have to make a perfect Star Wars film. Then we can have a discussion about if it's better than the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet, all right? It just hasn't happened. As much as I love all the other ones, none of them are perfect except Empire. So Empire, I... I can't not give it a 10 out of 10. I can't. I know I did that last time with A New Hope, but I, I think <laughs> I backed up my reasons things pretty well. Um, I think it's close to perfect as well. Um, but Empire is definitely perfect, and I have to get a 10 out of 10 because I can't take any points away for anything. That is a great score, literally. Do you have Do you have a score in mind, Jake? Do you have any final thoughts? Um... Final thoughts. This movie's hard to beat just across the board, not just with Star Wars movies, but movies in general. It is, it's set a standard that has uh, rarely been met since, and I dare say it won't be met again, at least in the realm of Star Wars films, which I'm fine with because, man, Empire Strikes Back is so much fun to watch and uh, so many great moments. Um, I, I got to gotta give it a 10 as well man this is this is one of those perfect movies that you that you hear about you know right up there with like uh back to the future or jurassic park i think this one is one of those movies that you just can't pass up when it's on tv or uh you know just just when it's on in general you gotta sit down and watch it relive those great moments um nearly nearly flawless uh almost completely flawless and i i could i wouldn't feel good giving it any less than 10 the pressure's on zach that's very fair oh no there's no pressure there's no pressure there's no question in my mind there there's there's never going to be a question in my mind there's never been any question in my mind I'm just still trying to figure out how to come up with like a concluding statement that is adequate and respectful and proper to the majesty that is this film. You know, I've been rolling through all of the sequels that I've ever watched in my mind. And that includes ones that are like two or three episodes further down, like not just the immediate follow-up, but in the context of immediate follow-ups, you look at stuff like Back to the Future 2. You look at stuff like uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. You look at stuff like even... Toy Story 2, uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean 2, whatever you want, there's all kinds of sequels out there. And the only sequel that I would think would be anywhere remotely close to as good as Empire Strikes Back would be maybe The Godfather Part 2 and uh, Return of the King. 
Like, there are just yep. not very many sequels in existence that expand on the characters and the universe and the mythos and the action, the music, the intrigue, the comedy, the suspense, the plot twists. Like, there's just hardly anything else out there in existence that is as comprehensively well done as The Empire Strikes Back. It is a true cinema masterpiece. I know I was making that joke earlier, and I guess it's a good way to finish. It is a masterpiece of cinema. The writing, the set design, the cinematography, the action, there's just nothing about it that you can really, really look at and critique. I'm curious what it was that the critics looked at and deadpanned when it first released. Like, it genuinely baffles me that people did not like this film because there's just so much to like about it. And for me, like you guys were talking about, there's almost nothing about it that I would nitpick and critique. I went back and I watched it and I, I had to, like, set my phone down several times because I've gotten into this bad habit of being on my phone while I'm watching a movie or a TV show. But I put my phone down for a solid hour, hour and a half in the middle of this film because I just wanted to watch and see if I could see something new. And I did. Every time I watch this movie, I see something new. I think this time around it was the number of snakes, you know, (laughs) on Dagobah. But every time, every time I'm seeing something new, I'm seeing something different. That and the uh, Tauntaun skeleton in the Wampa Cave. I think I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to that any of the previous times, but I saw like an actual Tauntaun skull behind Luke as he was escaping the cave. Yeah. yeah. So like those are some of the nuances that I'm finally picking up the umpteenth time that I've seen this film. And I feel like I'm still going to learn things. I'm still going to experience things. I'm still going to figure stuff out like every single time I watch it. And it's just, it's beautiful, it's amazing, and it is the closest thing I've ever seen to a perfect movie. It probably, in my opinion, is a perfect movie. There is not one thing that I would change about any of it. And so for that, I'm going to follow suit with you guys and uh, give it a 10 out of 10, which makes this perfect score of 30 out of 30 only the second time it's ever happened in IPC podcast history and the second time this year. The only other time was the 1994 Lion King. Yeah, most impressive. Jake, you've brought us some good fortune, bud. <laughs> Do what I can. Oh, man. Well, I guess there's only a couple other things to do before we call it a night, and one of those things would be the uh, quote of the night. And we've been debating Indeed. for the last hour what that quote's going to be. And I still don't think if we've decided, but I might just make a judgment call if you guys are okay with it. Do it. You go ahead, pick whatever you would like, and it will just magically play for everyone. So just amazingly just show up on iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff. Are you guys good with Luke's first interaction with Yoda? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always game for that. Like like you said, man, that was one of your favorite moments, and it, it's just a great moment in Star Wars because – we know who Yoda is. Like, at this point now, we know who he is. 
But imagine watching the movie in 1980 and this green puppet shows up and starts patronizing your star character. Like, how discombobulating must that be? That he's just like tossing your stuff around and like stealing your flashlight. Like, mine. Oh, I will help you not. Like, what if, what if when Luke pulled his gun on him, as you'll hear in just a second, Luke accidentally shot him? Oh, man. (laughs) And then there's da 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 da. There's the movie. It's over. Oh That's the gosh. movie. <laughs> I, you know what? I think the reason Yoda had his hands up the way that he did was because he was he was ready to like do a little force flick and like flick Luke's gun up and away from him so that he wouldn't actually shoot him. Maybe, maybe that's uh, that's a good theory because Yoda had to have a backup plan. I mean, like if this if this kid this kid accidentally shoots me, then uh, I'm screwed. Pretty much. So uh, I think I think I'm just gonna stop talking now and let these characters stop talking. From the Empire Strikes Back, ladies and germs, here comes tonight's quote of the night. What? Ready for some power? Okay. Now all I gotta do is find this Yoda. If he even exists. It's really a strange place to find a Jedi Master. This place gives me the creeps. Still... Something familiar about this place. I don't know. I feel like... Like we're being watched. Oh, wait, put your weapon. I mean you no harm. I am wondering, why are you here? I'm looking for someone. Looking? Found someone you have, I would say. <laughs> right. Help you again? Yes. Mm. I don't think so. I'm looking for a great warrior. Oh. <laughs> great warrior. Oh. <laughs> Wars not make one great. <laughs> oh. Put that down. Now we. Hey, it's my dinner. <laughs> So big to do food of this kind. Listen, friend, we didn't mean to land in that puddle, and if we could get our ship out, we would, but we can't, so why don't you just get your ship out? Hey, get out of there! No! Hey, you could have broken this. Don't do that. I don't want your help. I want my lamp back. I'm gonna need it to get out of this slimy mud hole. Mud hole? Slimy? My home this is! Archie, let him have it. Fine! 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 Archie! 
Come <laughs> on, little fellow. We got a lot of work to do. No, no, no. Can't help you. I will. <laughs> Find your friend. Hmm? I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for a Jedi Master. <sighs> Jedi Master Yoda. You seek Yoda. You know him? Mm. Take it to him, I will. <laughs> yes, yes, but now we must eat. Come. <laughs> Good food. Come. <laughs> <laughs> R2, stay and watch after the camp. Just a great line and just a great movie. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to do the whole dialogue between Vader and Luke, which we probably did last time we reviewed this movie. Like, I, I don't even remember. But there's just so many quotable lines from this film. It's so fun. And... I mean, just listening to that kind of makes me want to go back and watch that scene again. Um, fun fact. I actually had an old MP3 player, kind of in the age of when Zunes were really popular. You remember those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, before we had actual iPods, we had like iPod shuffles and stuff like that. The one that I had was a one gigabyte MP3 player that could also turn into a USB so that I could load music onto it directly. Oh, and nice. it had this tiny little microphone on it. And you could actually do recordings on this if you wanted to, like an acapella or an interview or whatever. I decided that I wanted the audio from a movie or a TV show on there so that I could listen to it whenever I wanted. Because back in that day, I didn't have a smartphone. I couldn't watch stuff on my phone if I wanted to. So I got my portable DVD player out and I took <laughs> my MP3 player out, hit the play button, hit the record button, and I recorded The Empire Strikes Back on my MP3 player so that I could listen to it whenever I wanted. You recorded the movie? I recorded the whole <laughs> movie. On wow. a stinking MP3 player from, from my portable DVD player. And I distinctly remember, like, in high school, I would do, like, um, workouts for my basketball tryouts and stuff like that. Yeah. I would shoot basketball hoops in my front driveway to the pace of scenes from the movie. I would get, like, the Hoth scene, and that would be one workout. And then I would get, like, <laughs> like the final battle and that would be like another fight scene or, or another workout or whatever. And, uh, one time I spent the weekend at my grandparents' house and I didn't have my white noise machine to help me go to sleep. Mm. So I got my MP3 player at star Wars. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that it. That is amazing. That's legit. It was like, it was like a giant quote of the night, basically. <laughs> <laughs> And tonight's quote of the night will be the entire movie. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would love that. But I don't think Lucasfilm would like us infringing on their rights quite that much. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, man. 
we're getting a little punchy in these wee hours of the morning. So uh, I guess it's time to revisit that segment we told you guys we would talk about at the top of the show. Time to, to bring it back and uh, let that be the part that closes out the evening. So, ladies and gentlemen, get out those hashtags. Put them in social media. Put them in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever you might use that might carry a hashtag. We will most likely find it if you do. Bring it on back, folks. It's time, one more time, for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Okay, so off the top, guys, I mentioned a little something that involved American TV and barbecue and football. So I feel like I need to explain myself ah. here. So as as has been noted many times on this show, I work at a barbecue place. It's pretty simple. And so there was something that came up uh, with our local football team. And the one of our local TV stations does a a weekly segment, I assume, during football season called Coach's Corner, where host sits down with the coach of our high school football team, and they just hash out what's going on with the team and what's coming up with the next game, what happened with the last game, stuff like that. So they're looking for places to like have it. They don't necessarily have it at a studio. They'll kind of go around and like do it at different businesses, and they like sponsorship or whatever, like, hey, we're at this place, whatever. And so they came to us, and they're like, hey, would you like to have it at your place? And we're like, that sounds pretty awesome. You know, advertise, kind of free advertisement. And the only stipulation was, okay, well, you have to feed us. We'll come to your place. We'll have our we'll, – we'll shoot the video, and uh, we'll uh, – all you have to do is feed us. And we're like, we can do that, no problem. So uh, that was the whole thing. And actually part of the segment was the guy that hosted it, we were like – Oh, when do you want us to bring the food on? Like, we're going to do it. And he's like, oh, bring it to us while we're talking during the interview. <laughs> so if you go and you can go to my Facebook page and watch this, or you can watch me walk in the background, come up beside the table and give them the food. <laughs> and they're like talking about it and eating it while they're doing the interview. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty casual interview, I must add. But uh, I have to give it to also a little behind the scenes story here. So, of course, my dad, who runs the place, owns the place, and the host is like, yeah, why don't you come on and we'll talk about this and we'll, we'll, we'll promote your place, we'll talk about it. And I know my dad being the type of person who has never done anything remotely like that, who is a very sh- kind of shy, not definitely not comfortable being in front of the camera, um, whereas I'm not as much. <laughs> I'm kind of more used to this sort of thing. And I immediately spoke up for him. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll stick up for you, Dad. So I went and I did the thing. And uh, yeah, so I approached it. And then we did another thing where they got us to, got all of us in front of the camera. And then I had to say something like, oh, go team. And then I flubbed it like 10 times. It was awful. But I got it on like the eighth take, I think. I don't know. But yeah, it was bad. That's amazing. That sounds like so much fun, though. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of fun. It was really kind of fun. Oh my gosh, that sounds. I'm jealous. 
it's it sounds like it was a lot of fun and i i did i did see the interview at the end there that that part did look pretty cool and so (laughs) i'm i'm excited for y'all that's some and apparently they're coming back this week to do another one so hey that you did some great food and maybe they won their game or something so you're the good luck charm actually they lost the game this week i think (laughs) oh (laughs) so they're like two and one i think now Oh, that's oh. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I, there, there's always next week. There goes my theory. I'm done. <laughs> no, I think it's actually they're one and one, so they got one win, one loss. I, oh well. I, I know how superstitious coaches can be, though. Like, like if they if they win in a particular uniform or something, they will wear that uniform the next week as like a hope of continuing the good luck. Wow. And then when they lose, they're like, well, that didn't work. What if we're bad luck? What if, like, they never win another game because they're doing the coach's corner at our place? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you've just you've just ruined it. Oh. Jinxed us. Oh, man. That's that's fantastic. Well, I I love I love behind the scenes barbecue stories like that. Um, next week, I guess we'll have to talk about chicken. because <laughs> It's funny how. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's a weird intersection of sports, which you are heavily involved in, yep. barbecue, which I am heavily involved in, yep. and Star Wars, which we're talking about here tonight because I was wearing a Star Wars shirt that day. I saw And it got on camera. I saw that. I was hoping... Just, it's, it's all connected. I was hoping that you'd wear like an IPC or an SWU shirt or something, get like a shameless plug in there and some product place. I didn't but. really plan that. Like, I would have... <laughs> I don't know if I would have picked that particular shirt if I had known, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to be on the camera. And then it was so impromptu. Like, I started thinking after, I'm like, I didn't comb my hair or anything. I probably looked awful. Like, of course, I'm at work. I'm not exactly, you know, going to win a beauty contest there. You know, I'm just there. Um, so, and then they want me, they're micing me up and putting me on camera impromptu, which was uh, weird. Weird, but fun, it sounds like. You, like, just, just, it was good. Just by the level of enthusiasm that you've talked about this, I think you're as excited that they're coming back as they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're going to use the same footage they did last week or they're going to shoot some new footage, uh, which is going to be interesting. I, I got to be in my A game. I guess I guess we'll find out in the next week or so, huh? Uh-huh, uh-huh, indeed. That's cool. Well, we got a little bit of time before next week's podcast episode, so maybe we just do like a follow-up with Coach's Corner and, and just do do like an ongoing like serial discussion of how Coach's Corner went this week. And this week, I embarrassed myself this way on live TV. <laughs> I said the wrong mascot when we did the cheer. <laughs> Go Wildcats! Oh no, that's High School Musical. Oh my. Ben, you gotta get your head in the oh. game. <laughs> oh god. I got, I understood that reference. <laughs> okay. I, I got to shut things down before I make more high school musical jokes. Yes, we do. More, There's going to be more high school references no. and just more just insanity if we don't shut this down right now. God, no. A special thank you to all of our patrons that help financially support this podcast. Folks like Joey Mays, Jake, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott, and our newest patron, Carrie Fleming. If you're interested in helping financially support this program and continuing to help us produce the best possible content, 
just go check out ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a patron button on that page, as well as access to our entire library of episodes, which you can get on and get access to by becoming a patron. So be sure to go check us out there and check us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also available on StarWarsUnderworld.com, iTunes, Google Play, and, of course, Podbean. So check us out at all of those places. And if you want an idea for the holiday season uh, to give to a relative or just to give to yourself, then uh, maybe go check out our swag site at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. That's teepublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. I'm going to be getting myself a hoodie for this cold winter season. It's only about 35, 40 bucks or something like that. And it's a really good quality hoodie, and it's got the logo on it. So it's the best of all worlds. Nice. You guys don't sound like you're going to be interested in getting one. I I have an idea. We work here. <laughs> I have an idea, actually, I was thinking about tonight while I was designing. And uh, I'll have to float it by you guys. But uh, that's that. I'm, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Ooh, I'm, a, I'm intrigued now. I'm <laughs> sizzle, sizzle, sizzle. Ooh, be sure to stay tuned for that, folks. Something may be in the works here. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see. In the, in the middle of all your designing and other stuff that you do, Jake, uh, where can the folks at home keep up with everything else that you're doing? Well, you can find me on Instagram. I am on Instagram at Jake W. Damon. I had an interaction with uh, the person who has my desired handle, at Jake Damon. Uh, you can find me there on Twitter. Um, and uh, he liked a comment I left on a post that he posted about how uh, I would I would love uh, I would love that handle and I would pay him for it. Uh, and in the messages section, you know, where you could send people private messages, I saw where he started typing, and then he never wrote to me. So I'm still waiting for that. But that this is the furthest I've come. <laughs> With progress and it's so frustrating but i can almost taste it i want that handle at jake damon but it's right now it's at jake w damon uh, I'm, I'm starting to tinker around with different design techniques and stuff so developing developing my skill a little bit uh and then uh, yeah on twitter at jake damon also my brother and i run a podcast called Ben 10 again, and we are going through every episode of Ben 10. One, uh, it's a show that, that you might remember from Cartoon Network back in the the mid aughts, um, and uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun revisiting that. We just uploaded episode seven uh, on Anchor, and I just found out, unfortunately, that it probably won't be able to be on Apple Podcasts unless I remove the copyrighted music that is in every episode so far, which would be a shame, and also change the logo, because I'm technically using the logo from the show as part of the logo for the podcast, but you know what? I'm fine with it. It's on Spotify. It's on Anchor. Check it out. Ben 10 again. Jacob, you are a graphic design artist. What is wrong? I know, I know. It's embarrassing, but at the same time, I felt like it would be good to put that in there just so fans of the show would be able to recognize it easier at first glance. But who knows? Maybe I'll change. Well, you can just take a look at it on Anchor in the meantime, folks. Anchor's a really good podcasting site anyway, so 
Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Kind of hard to knock on that. But uh, yeah, that that sounds like fun. Ben, what about you? Where can the folks keep up with you? They can find me on Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram and not Google Plus because that's not a thing anymore. Um, at what? Ben Hart with no, no Google Hangouts for us anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, it uh, it, it died a long time ago. Um, did my but. Wow, that got dark really quick. <laughs> really quick. Wow, wow. Uh, we're crushing dreams here, uh, the later it gets. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing. So, yeah, go go follow my uh, insanity over there. Yeah, I uh, I tweeted something with a curse word the other day. <gasps> I want to go check that out. What? Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Can you believe that? Can you believe it? The, what's this world coming to? You, you tweeted it yourself or you retweeted something that had it in it? I retweet stuff all the time that has curse words in it. I actually type something with the S word in it, if you can believe it. What? <laughs> what? I know. I know. It's nuts. It's insane. I'm, I'm, see, people don't realize that the fact that I don't necessarily curse because I just save the curse words for the necessary times and for comedic effect so yeah go follow me there this, and you'll see what i this mean this is glorious eat and i cannot stress this enough yes <laughs> i like on i had to buy in on the memes oh man were you replying to anybody or were you just posting it um there was a lot of people doing that similar meme so i just i just took off on them how uh, i did another one that was had obi-wan and said hello and I cannot stress this enough. There. <laughs> that one, that's good. That is good. Oh, that is greatness. Well, a lot of my social media has kind of migrated over to the Twitter world. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Zach underscore DFW. Haven't been posting there as much as I would like. Uh, I am now on Facebook and Twitter at Zach the Voice. Z A C H the Voice. Um, most of it is going to be posting related to school or to my new broadcasting stuff that I'm doing for the local high school but uh, there's some life stuff and some podcasting stuff that goes on there as well so if you're interested in following up with my shenanigans just find me at Zach the Voice and like I said a second ago you can find pretty much everything that we do on the IPC podcast page Ben you actually posted that stinking meme already <laughs> we were talking about it. It's already up at IPC Podcast. Make ice cream, not Star Wars. I retweeted the heck out of it. You should too. Go find us at IPC Podcast. And then be sure to come back right here to channel1138.com next week for another rousing edition of this show. But guys, unless you got anything else to say, I think we can call it a night. I think we did it. I think we done conquered this one my battery's Ooh. almost out of juice oh dude i'm telling you i'm gonna like be going straight to bed right after this so let's put me to bed and let's put this episode to bed episode number 254 that's uh season two episode four i think of the intergalactic peace coalition podcast is now officially in the books for Ben Hart and Jake Damon, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. When we rescue others, we rescue ourselves. We can't wait to see all you others next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
any for your thoughts. I hate Brenda, and a bad guy hit me in the shin, and I peed all on my pants. There's <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. Rockin', rockin' and rollin'. Down to the beach I'm strollin'. But the seagulls poke at my head. Not fun. I said seagulls. Whatever, you're sort of pitchy. Didn't like it? Listen, man, I'm not your friend. Mm, don't fall asleep.